Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Geekening Podcast. It's your occasional host, Will. This might be the first one of 2022. I don't believe we've made it this far, but hey, here we are. And I have a special guest with me. Please introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Riga from the channel You All Right. Lovely to be here. Hey, lovely to have you. And, and happy now, new year. Oh, yeah. Happy new year. Yeah. Uh, now let's cut to the chase. And like one thing I like to talk to with my guests is how I found them. Okay. And I found um, all you, you all right, which great channel name. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, I, uh... I appreciate the pun. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I did think about, like, okay, you're going to start a channel that talks about writing and story. Should you name it after a pun, or are you going to get judged for that? And I couldn't. I was too good of a pun, so I just... Uh, yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, with the pun. Totally good. Love it. Um, but uh, I found also the channel through the what semblance were the character based off of blank calf. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, I know for Christmas you did, like, Frosty the Snowman, Ebenezer Scrooge, Rudolph. Yeah, yeah, I, just, I started it up recently. I, I, I went for another pun name, like, Resemblance, because it was meant to be, like, a character that resembles another character, so it's, like, adapting a character into the Ruby world. See how that works. And I'm just sitting here, and I'm just like, man, that's good. Resemblance is such a good name. Why didn't I, I think know, of something like that? It's funny. I've had the idea to do this, like like that series, for months. But I like I was busy with other things. The drawings and stuff take time because I'm not an artist. Right. But I you know I need something visual to put there, and you know there's other things that I need to do as well. And um, I was for some reason scared someone was gonna take it. Like once I realized that pun was there, I was like, someone else is gonna find this. Someone's gonna use this name before I get to it. Like I need to get the first one out, and it, it took months. And um, yeah, I was just worried that some other. Uh, YouTuber was going to figure this out. Yeah, that's understandable wanting to get the name out there so no one takes it, you know? Totally understandable. Like, heck, for all ages of geek, uh, when this comes out, it might be up, it might not be, but I am also doing like a bit of a Ruby podcast. Okay. And what I'm doing is I'm talking about the backgrounds of the character, like what they're based off of. Oh, yeah. So and, the origins, yeah. Yeah, the origins. And I'm like going through like whether it is fiction, nonfiction, myth, what kind of myth, how is it related? And that whole thing, I pride myself in the name I gave it, the Library of Remnant. That's really good. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I, I was sort of looking at that with this series too, because I, I don't like I'm not gonna do it all the time because it's very time consuming to make, but when right. I do do a few of them. I wanted to try adapting other stuff. Like, obviously, the Christmas tales, as tales we all know, like, they sort of fit Ruby. But at the end of the final one I did there, I was like, what if we do, like, I don't know, video game characters next? Like, we'll make King Boo or something. Or what if I did, I don't know, wrestlers, like, real-life wrestlers and try and adapt their characters and or something? Like, I was considering just how do you adapt things into Ruby? Because, like, a fighting game, right? Like, if I have to adapt Scorpion, that's pretty easy. He's going to look the same. Have yeah. Five hours. It's going to be the same thing. But how do you adapt, like, like I said, like King Boo or something? Like, just something that's totally... Yeah, normal. like, it's easy to be for... Uh, shoot. Sub-Zero, that's his name. It's easy yeah. to 
understand for like sub of what to do. Now, Vince McMahon, on the other hand, extremely oh. hard. <laughs> well, we couldn't put him in there because he would take over the world. <laughs> he would take over the world, try to make a monopoly on semblances. Be terrible. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, that's just Jacques with dust. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, so it's Jacques built like Hazel. That's actually kind of terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I do sort of like because wrestling something that I like, and I like a few other things. So, and obviously like video games and other things like that. So, oh, like yeah. trying to because my channel is mostly Ruby. It wasn't really planned to be, but it's ended up that way at least for now. So adapting other things I like into it is a good way to sort of uh, keep the motivation going. But yeah, it totally makes sense. Um, like for example, for here um, on the Geekening, I've talked about Ruby a lot. I've talked about video games. I've talked about tabletop games. Uh, but honestly, I haven't really talked about wrestling, which is one thing I actually enjoy too. Yeah. Um, it's a, uh, it's just fun. Like I, I know people who, like I still get the judgment of like, you're an adult, start watching wrestling. I'm like, no, wrestling's fun. It, yeah, it is. It is a soap opera with action. <laughs> yeah, like I learned so much about writing characters and also how to do fights. Oh from yeah, watching definitely. wrestling. If you want to learn how to tell a story in a fight, that's what wrestling is. Like good wrestling, anyway. Right, like um. I don't know if you know, like, the Japanese wrestling. I know some of it a little bit. Um, like, with uh, Kenny Omega and the Golden Lovers. That's a great story. Yeah, that's an amazing story. But also just, like, a fight scene. Like, if you watch a fight scene and it's paced strong, it, you can tell. If you watch a good wrestling match, it's like, they, just, they start out and then, like, they feel each other out. Then something will happen where someone will take advantage and then they'll work that limb or whatever and press the advantage and then they'll find a comeback and they pace it out properly. And then it builds to a climax. That's the same as making an action scene in a show, like tell the story with the fight. Yeah. And um, yeah, it, it does teach you a lot. And also like, I'm one of those people that when I explain things, I slip into wrestling lingo. Hey, like, that's like, fine. Oh, he, he's the heel. He's the face. Like there's yeah. a heel turn. <laughs> I just do that because it makes it really easy. When, once you learn that lingo, talking about characters becomes really easy. Oh, you yeah. Can identify them. It's just they have quick lingo for all that storytelling stuff. Like, if we are to use uh, quick lingo or wrestling lingo with uh, Ruby, right now, I don't really see Team Ruby as the baby faces, personally. <laughs> no, they're, they're pretty tweener at the moment. They're, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very interesting because we got this whole what are they going to do? Like, what is the island and all that? Like, that's what everyone's been speculating on. Yeah. Like, I've seen theories that it's Wonderland. I've seen theories that the tree is Yggdrasil from Nordic mythology. Yeah. Yeah. I was one of the first to get the Wonderland one out there. Oh, really? I'm not claiming it. Like, lots of people did it. But I I think a couple days after the finale, I got my first one that referenced Wonderland out. So... Nice. And I I also know that feeling because with uh, Volume 8, because that's the one that just wrapped up, right? Yeah. Yeah, It's hard to keep track sometimes of the volumes. It is. It it is. Uh, But when Volume 8 was still going on, I made a theory that Atlas would fall. Yeah. And and then when it did fall, I was like, awesome, it fell. But also I was like, oh, wait, no, that's bad. (laughs) There is a mix of excitement if you get something right. You're like, I did it. Oh, it's awful. I, I predicted the worst outcome. 
<laughs> yeah, but um, I kind of prided myself in how I said Atlas would fall. I compared it to the story of the Sword of Damocles. Oh, yeah, that's a pretty good analogy. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And I, believe... I sort of get a I sort of get a mix with it because like so because I do quite a lot of content like I try and do a video a week at least and most of them almost all of them are Ruby based and that means there's a lot of theories and a lot of ideas there are so, like mm -hmm. I feel like the audience sometimes can't tell and I sometimes have to put it in the video of like okay I don't really think this one's gonna happen this one's just fun and right. because I've... I put so many different ideas out there at this point and I'm like one of them might be right but like there's a mountain of maybes because I've gone through all the maybes you know right. And um, an another theory that I was like kind of happy. Uh, actually, no, I was disappointed I got right. And uh, spoilers alert. I should yes. have really said that first. My bad, fans. Spoilers to the end of Volume 8, yeah. Um, the death of Ironwood. Mm. I was like, yeah, he's going to lose. Like, I made a theory on that. I didn't want it to be true, but then it was. I'm like, oh, no, Ironwood, you were such a good character in Volume 7. <laughs> yeah there's a lot of debate about that and people get like the ruby community unfortunately is oh, one of those yeah. things where there are some there are they're, like they're great people and like i'm friends with a lot of great people and most of my yeah. watches are great people i keep my comments civil but i usually don't have to people are pretty good but there are extremes on that fan base and because it's a, a smaller fan base because it's not the world's biggest show right. like those extremes pop up more frequently mm -hmm. and the ironwood debate has been one that has been raging for a while um I do remember, I again, don't know if this episode is out, but I did one with uh, Twinnings. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. And we went on, like, an hour-long discussion about Ironwood alone. Yeah, yeah. And we kept it civil. We kept it very civil, you know, because both of us want the fandom to be civil. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But... It was I, just... think, I think all the all the controversial points are great to talk about as long as yeah. they're kept civil because they're, they're good talking points. Like, you know, whether you think they were right or wrong or you just want to change it or you just want to talk about it, it's great to talk about it. It just feels bad when you can't bring it up because you know it's going to bring out the people with very extreme feelings on it. And that's going to, like, then disrupt the whole discourse. Right, right. Um, uh, just, you know, personal feeling coming from the heart now. I do not speak for all ages of geek in this, <laughs> uh, but Ironwood, terrible heel turn. What were you doing? You had the morally gray character. That was great. Yeah, I um, I wouldn't. I wasn't surprised that it happened. Uh, I feel like Team Ruby gets a bit of unfair flack for it with the, the lying and stuff, like because that's the story they were trying to tell. I always find it's annoying when people get mad at the story they're trying to tell. You cannot like the story, but don't get mad at them for telling the story they set out to tell, at least with the lying and deception. And it does, and like, they're terrible, you know, you should never do this. And what happens? It comes back to bite them. That is the result that would happen. So yeah. in that way, like, and like, it, you know, because the show doesn't have a lot of time per episode, right. sometimes it's a little heavy handed, like sometimes the dialogue's a bit spot on because they need to get to a point very quickly. So when they're in Ironwood's office at the beginning of Seven, and he's like, oh, you know, I just want you to trust me and or whatever that. And he keeps saying like trust and faith and, you know, work together and trust and trust. Like, okay, so, and then they clearly lie to him in that scene. It's like, okay, so the theme of this is they're not respecting his trust and they're going to fall out and such proceeded to happen. So, right. so and... I was expecting the heel turn. Although his plan, 
A lot is being debated over his plan. I feel like they didn't clarify exactly what he was trying to achieve. Like, fly, um, fly Atlas away. Was his plan to go to space? Lots of people think it was to go to space, but we know dust doesn't work in space. So he's just trying to fly the, the island away. But if he did that, they could chase him. So he didn't, it, it was a bit nebulous what he was trying to achieve, which made it seem a little more ridiculous. And right. therefore his approach seemed a little ridiculous because a lot of the interpretation was, even if you succeed, you're going to fail. So what's the point of this? And also with the world of remnant about Atlas saying like, hey, some grim freeds in Atlas. They, some grim just don't survive. We didn't really see that. Like they were thriving in Atlas. I buy it for the Grimm she brought in with her, as if like she made them specifically for the cold. But there did seem to be a decent amount of Grimm around that were surviving with no issues that seemed to be frost adapted anyway before she arrived. So yeah, yeah. But that's a know. little. It's a little gripe, but there's still some things I did like about Volume Seven and Eight. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I didn't hate them. A lot of people hate Seven, and I found it. It was fine. Like, for what I do, I've had to rewatch Ruby so many times. Uh, yeah. That um, like, like I'm I'm pretty good at it because when I have to go get screen grabs, like I can usually remember what scene I'm thinking of and what episode it's in and what volume it's in and just jump there and get the screenshot. Um, because I've been through it that many times, right. and it's not like Seven's not the one I would skip. Like if I was rewatching it through for fun, I wouldn't skip Seven. I'd be much more likely to skip like Five. I was thinking four, personally, but... Everyone dunks on four because it's not as action-heavy, but I do like the character progression. I like yeah, the character's Ren great. More. I like getting to know Ren more, I like getting to know Crow more, I like the introductions to, like, Raven and that, mm-hmm. and Yang's story. And I don't... I like Blake, so I don't mind when we jump over to do Blake stuff. Yeah. Um, there's a I lot think... of hate on Blake, but this is fine. Oh, yeah, I don't hate Blake at all. One thing that definitely helped Blake's whole... When we did cut to her personal opinion um it was callie belladonna best mom (laughs) who was able to take down an assassin with a tea tray yeah that is great now i do hope we see them again at some point. yeah i do too i think we will like i feel like there's a something someone's gonna get saved by that um you know like the restored uh not white fang but whatever their new faction will be like the Faunus will band together and come as like an army to help at some point, I think, again, which we have done that before, but it was sort of, I feel like a lot of the time when there's a mistake or something that people don't like, they try and do it again later in a better way. So there was the whole, when they went to save Haven, but it didn't really seem like that big a deal because Adam didn't bring many people. So yeah. the Faunus arriving to save him didn't really matter. But if there's like a big war and they get like the new group of faunas to come in and save them like as a second time over it'll like they'll try and play it out a lot better i think yeah but my personal like my gripes with volume eight are nothing but personal yeah (laughs) because they kept killing off my favorite characters yeah I, i i think it's interesting with this show that especially with volume three it got its reputation for being the show that will kill the characters you love and then for many, many volumes didn't do that any, anymore. So it's sort of, it's definitely the show you, you got to watch and be on the edge of your seat for. And then as like four, five, six kept going, like it wasn't happening anymore. So I, I don't mind them killing off characters as much. 
but I can understand when people get really attached to characters that it always sucks. But I always describe that as the good hurt. Like if it's if it's hurt that's getting you somewhere, that's good. If it's just for no reason, it's bad. So uh, we'll see what happens with some of the developments from like Penny and all them. At Penny's death, personally, I didn't feel anything because I was like, oh, I've seen I was her die. It. Yeah, I was well, expecting it too. Well, I was expecting it in the back of my head. And in all my videos, I said it wasn't going to happen because I'm like, there's no way they're doing this again. Like, this would feel pointless. And it kind of did. Yeah. Uh, but well, the, one... well, the thing I didn't like about it, well, just real quick, I'll just get my opinion yep. out there because I'm not going to make a video on this. I just thought I'd say it. Yep. We did a whole detour episode to the staff of creation and we went through this whole elaborate way that it works for Penny, right? Mm -hmm. So we put all this effort in this detour episode and then we undid it with killing her. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have a problem with killing her if that's what you need to do. Right. But to do this big detour episode to get there where it felt like we deviated the whole plot and then we just went back on it like the episode after, it just felt like a waste of time to do yeah. this really complicated thing that people didn't like and didn't get. And then the result of it was that character dies and we don't talk about it again. So what was the point? Right. Now that was the... my issue with it. That was a pacing issue, you know? Yeah, totally makes sense. But the two deaths I want to talk about um, and I enjoyed them for different ways. Um, one, Hazel. Mm. Because, again, I am I was a sucker for the burning the witch at the stake motif. Okay, yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, that's clever. And two, the death of Watts. Because I was like, oh, that's disturbing. Yeah, I do. I do like that he... He should die in Atlas because he's not useful anymore after Atlas. Like, he's a tech guy and they're in the tech place. After yeah. they go somewhere else, we don't need that. So his death makes a lot of sense. And the fact he, like, gets a like a, a burn to death off screen, sort of dishonorable death, fits his sort of snidey character. And it means that Cinder actually does get another, like, notch on her belt for people she's killed. Because yeah. she, she needs to try and remain threatening, which sometimes I have a tr like, trouble doing. But she did kill Penny. She did kill Watts. So she has a few notches for that one. Right. Because uh, I, I always look at how characters, again, a little bit like wrestling, I always look at how characters are booked, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so a lot of people have problems with Cinder because she sometimes does silly things or her ego gets in the way. But I've made a couple of videos on, like, they still can't beat her. Like, they can't, like, the maiden powers, when they're used really well, the team cannot beat her right now. They've tried, like, four on one, and they don't win. So having her kill normal characters or even really good characters like Watts, even though she didn't do it by hand, but having her actually physically kill characters reminds you that even if you don't like her or whatever, you still can't take her in a fight. They're still not there yet. You still should right. be scared of this character, whether you like their personality or not. Yeah, that's a, honestly nailed it right on the head. That's my feelings with Cinder. Do I like her? No. Do I respect her? Yes. Yeah, I don't, I don't dislike her as much as a lot of people. I still think she's all right. Yeah. My personal feeling, it's just meh. Like, I don't really love her. I don't really hate her. I think she works as a good secondary villain because the way yeah. I put it in a lot of videos that works in my head is you need a big bad that you repeatedly fight that you come back to. It can't be Salem because Salem can't be killed. And also the more times they fight Salem and they get away, she seems less threatening. Cinder takes all those hits. You fight her over and over again. She does a lot of damage. She kills characters here and there. You can't beat her. And because you like that, it's okay for her to sort of get dunked on a little bit because she's still mortal and she's not the big ending boss we have to get to. 
So it, right. it preserves the ending boss's mystique a little bit. She takes all the hits instead. Yeah, again, totally makes sense. I'm, I'm on page with you with that one. Yeah, like it's just like a useful tool to have someone you can who's really powerful enough to fight back, but you can keep beating up and beating and protecting the main boss, whose whole thing is you can't beat them anyway. Right. And another thing I liked in Volume 8 was Yang trying to fight Salem. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, and just how Cinder, not Cinder, how Salem reformed. I was just like, oh, bodies don't bend that way. I like that. I really like the interpretation of Salem fighting where it's, you know, she was never in her backstory. She wasn't the greatest, most powerful person in the world at all. She was trapped in a tower and whatever. Over time, she's probably got a lot better. But it's not that she's the best and will just, like, you know, wave her hand and kill you, although she almost could. But yeah. it, she doesn't have to try. Like, she just yeah. comes back. It's just, she just walks at you. Because what are you going to do? Like, and if you get away, so what? Meet you again down the line. I don't care. Because yeah. her goal isn't to kill everybody. Her goal is to get the relics. You're just in the way. Like, you are literally a speed bump to her. Well, she's seen... That's the other thing is, I, I do feel like she has that jaded thing of, like, she's seen so many generations go by. She's fought so many people, killed so many people, seen so many lives, that she doesn't get attached to anyone anymore. And also, yeah. no one impresses her anymore. Like, oh, you blew me up. Oh, wow, I haven't seen that before. Just form back and keep walking. Like, it's not impressive. It's not threatening. She's just past it all. And that's really interesting. And don't know about you, but that's I find that also intimidating. <laughs> oh, I do too. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a great way. To, Salem's one of my favorite characters. I think. Oh yeah. As much as people don't, some people have problems with her showing up, but I do like that she showed up, and despite all the damage you did, they showed how impossible it was, mm-hmm. and now you have to continue knowing you have to meet her again at some point. What are you going to do? They still don't have an answer. Yeah, and they don't have any relics. Yeah, it took eight volumes for her to personally step in, and when she did, you couldn't stop her, and she won. And now you're broken up again. And what are you going to do next time? Because it's going to happen again. So you have that build of what we did. We couldn't do anything. And I don't know if it's just because you have my brain on wrestling and Ruby. (laughs) That's my brain all the time. (laughs) Nice. But Salem is like pre-Brock Lesnar Undertaker streak at WrestleMania. Like, what are you going to do? You can't. Yeah, you, you don't win this. Like you're not written to win this. You can't win this. This doesn't work this way. Right, and that doesn't mean the fight, uh, the matches aren't good. Like some of them are five stars. I think it's a really good analogy, actually, because again, she has that presence. Like when the Undertaker walks to the ring at WrestleMania, you pay attention and you shut up and you get scared. When Salem arrives on the scene, you shut up, you pay attention, you get scared. Never thought I'd compare Salem to a seven-foot man, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, who are you taking in that fight? Uh, I guess Salem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. But that's right. No, Salem can kill him, and then he'll just come back as well. Yeah, yeah, they'll just both come back. It's a repeating cycle. Never ending. <laughs> Never ending. <laughs> Until he one out of gets dust bored. He, yeah, he, he, she forms up out of the like micro like uh, dust particles, and then. He just pops out of a flaming coffin that appears and just go back at it. Yeah. Uh, hmm. So, what would you say, like, and I understand, like, research 
with uh, Ruby and how in-depth it can be. Right. Because one of my first articles for All Ages of Geek, I decided to tackle the challenge of talking about the origin of every single Grimm in order in which yeah. we see them. That's uh, that's an interesting uh, approach. It was. Uh, Over yeah. 3,000 words. Lovely. <laughs> yeah. It was a task, but after it was done, I was proud of it. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a big undertaking. I would, uh, I'd be proud of it too. It's like but when I we... set out to write something that's way too big and like halfway through the script, I'm like, well, guess what? It's getting multiple parts now. <laughs> yeah. But then Rooster Teeth was like, all right, here's a new volume with new Grimm. No! <laughs> yeah, uh... yeah. No matter what you uh, come up with, uh, because it's ongoing, uh, yeah. you'll always have things change. Like I have this problem because I like sort of doing little fan fiction-y sort of rewrites of Ruby on, on my channel. Like, not to make it better, but, like, I, I have um, a, a currently on pause uh, series that will be coming back every commenter ever. Um, the, my Ruby runs, where basically I would, it's like you change one thing and then you retell the story with that changed thing and see how things wind up different. So mm. the first one, which is stuck on volume five, and I'm, I'm writing it, okay, um, is... <laughs> Um, what happened if uh, John died instead of Pira? That's like Ooh. just the base setting. And then you just go through the story. So what do you think Pira would act like? What situations have changed because John isn't there, right? So it just changes the rules. Well, not yeah. rules, it just changes the, the way events happen. You just change one thing. And then as the, volume, as the story continues, it spirals like more and more and more away from what you would expect. Right, because... If but the John... problem I have with that Oh, sorry, I'll just, I'll just real quick. But the reason I have an issue is because once I hit, like, volume eight, like, what do I do? Because I don't know what happens on the island. So I don't know what characters to get sent down there so the story will work at all because it's an ongoing story. Because right. when you do this with, like, let's say you did it with, like, Dragon Ball. Okay, Dragon Ball's ongoing, but you have, like, all of Z and you know the beginning, the middle, and the end. So if you want to rewrite it, you have an end, a beginning, middle, and end point. With Ruby, it's ongoing. So whenever I hit that, that line of like current volume with questions um it's impossible to continue it until like we get answers from them because i don't know what's required for the story to continue does that make right. sense yeah totally makes sense and like if jean did die well there goes the tactician so the petrogigas fight would definitely turn a bit different yeah so so far we've got up to the haven fight that's where i went on pause so what happened was i wrote all the way up to them walking into Haven to do the end fight at five. And then my, I, I was intimidated by it because it's like one of the worst fights in Ruby. Like didn't, the production did not go well. It wasn't very well received. And there's a very important fight there because in this version, it would be Pyrrha, it'd be Pyrrha in place of John. So it's Pyrrha meeting Cinder again, who killed John. So that's very right. important. And I, um, and then when I was starting to write it, my laptop died and my whole life went out the window oh. and I had to restart everything. So it's, and then I've, you know, then I wanted to get back to it. Then I had other things I was working on, then real life stuff. And now it's been like three, four months and I haven't put out a next episode. And now I'm like, there's build up to it. If it's not great, it's like not going to be well received. So I have to get it right. So, it, you know, it's like this snowball effect. Oh yeah. And but it will be coming back because God damn it. I have stuff planned for volume six. I just got to get there. Right. 
But um, since we're talking about, hey, you know, uh, the cheery topic of death, uh, what are your, what's your opinion on the Juniper death theory? Right. Okay. So I, because a lot of it comes from like, okay, well, a lot of it comes from their, their origins and what's going to happen, like, right. like what they're based on. And with a lot of characters, I feel like they, they, they start with their origin to build the character and then they put in references along the way. But I don't know if all the characters necessarily follow their arcs that they complete in their fairy tales because they're all sort of mixed together. So I'm trying to think how to explain this. Rather than them following their set path of their fairy tale, they are sort of set up that way and then they hit Ruby, like the show where everything's mixed together and they get beats from it. But I don't know if that necessarily means they'll end the same way. Because that also doesn't work for all the characters because some of the characters have like very nothing endings in their fairy tales, you know? Right. So it might happen. I think that you also have a thing with, I don't want to accuse Rooster Teeth of changing plans, but I feel like sometimes when you plan a show, uh, by the time you're like in the middle or most of the way through, you get this idea that, well, fans, the way fans have related to these characters has changed. So do you stick to your guns and do your set plan or do you alter so you don't like firebomb your audience by the end of the, the run, you know? Right. So like, in the, does it say all of them are going to die? I'm trying to remember this one. Uh, yes, it said yeah, all of them all are going to die, die because uh, si- uh, um, Pira by the Cinder with the arrow because of Keeley. Right. Yeah, yeah, John yeah. dying by Cinder because of fire and Jean de Arc. Yeah, yeah. Um, Nora and Poison, and Nora Poison, Ren. Yeah, I think it's Ren suicide. So those would make sense if they happened, right? Like if Nora died like that, I can see Ren doing that. But also, Nora and Ren have have got like this huge following as like they're the ones that we like. Like everyone likes them. Don't don't mess with it. And um, not that I'm a fan of that approach, but I almost feel like would they do that? Like would they by the time they get to let's say towards the final volumes where that's going to happen would they be like the show's ending so it's okay if we scorch earth and just like piss everyone off and actually carry through and kill these characters now i i would i would be a fan of that approach because i like it when people stick to their guns and i don't mind dark storytelling right but also the whole thing is like hope wins out and you know keep moving forward the monty thing and all of that i don't know if they would like tease that happening and then find a way around it and push through maybe i'm not sure because if like, uh, John, if John dies, that's fine. Like he did his big story, and he gets his noble sacrifice, and he joins Pyrrha in the Great Beyond, and that's everyone's happy. It's all good. But if John dies, and then like Nora dies next, like okay, so you have people who really like these characters mad, and then you know what's going to happen. Like Ren's definitely going to die, and then you have three major character deaths all squashed together at the end, and then so you're just building to this black as ink ending and like are people going to be invested at that point or are they going to do the whole like like a bad game of thrones where they're like well like game of thrones ended up we're just like oh you're just killing people like what we checked out i'm not invested anymore you've just started killing all your characters together right i mean i'm not saying that's wrong i'm just saying it's hard sometimes hard to read the room like to read how your audience is going to take that especially if it's playing way ahead of time Again, I agree, but I remember when we first saw that Tyrion 
was a scorpion fondness. Like, everyone got nervous for Nora, and it was great. Yeah, yeah. I, I do love when... Um, that's what I mean with the killing characters thing, is I actually would have preferred if a few more people died along the way. Not necessarily our main team, if you need to keep them around. But, like, there are important side characters or beloved side characters that I don't know why they're still here, right? Like, why is, like, Maria still alive? What are we doing? <laughs> I still appreciate the joke that the fandom has currently, that Maria and Pietro are still on Amity Coliseum. <laughs> well, there's no other explanation. I said at the end of uh, Volume 8, I said, if they open up in Crow with Crow in the airship and they've just picked them up, on the way out i'm fine with that yeah like that makes sense but otherwise they either crash somewhere in atlas on the ice and they freeze to death because they're old people yeah and get eaten by grim even though maria could hold out for a while but not forever and there's nowhere there's nowhere safe to go to because everything's destroyed or they fly amity arena limping somewhere else i don't know and even then if they did that what are we doing with them? Like, why do these characters still exist? What are the what's their role? What are we what are we actually getting out of it? What would we what do we get out of keeping them around that we wouldn't have got more out of killing them and making things like bleaker and more serious and, and hard, you know? Right. But when you do talk a, well, personally, when it comes to me, when you do bring up bleakness in Ruby, it just makes me think of one thing and one thing only. And that's the apathy. Right, which are my favorite Grim. <laughs> yeah, I heard, I saw that they are uh, they were meant to be in the story a lot earlier, which would make a lot of sense. But um, you know, yeah. they're a great invention. I do think it's funny when they popped out of the whale though, when it just started like spewing all kinds of Grim. It's like what I, I get that they're like like I guess they could be useful in a war, but compared to like all the charging sabers and everything, I'm like they're they're not really doing much. They were just there for a cameo to say hi. Yeah, if Remember anything. Us? Uh, what did you say? I'm sorry. No, I was saying, no, I was saying like, the apathy was just there for a cameo. Like, they popped out hey. like, hi, remember us? Like, hey, okay, moving on. If, like, if we're doing, like, if Salem is going full general and planning this out, apathy would be good behind enemy lines. Yeah, you need them around when no one knows they're around and they start doing damage. Right. Which I do love that the series reiterates they are not fast, they are not strong, they just drain your will to go on. And that's just terrifying. Hmm. To um to address my own question, because I left it hanging. Oh, I do sorry. think this no 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 no. I I I said it and then I realized I do have an answer for this that I, I should put in here since I brought it up. Hmm. Um I do think what they're gonna do, because Rooster Teeth has been very influenced by other media. We've seen it, like lots of their stuff is from other anime movies, etc. Like there's references all through the place, some of the designs, some of the characters, all that. I think we're gonna get an Avengers Assemble moment, and that's why there's all these straggling characters left all over the like over the map. Like all the people from all the volumes we've left behind are gonna come together to help at like one big battle. I do hope that happens personally. Yeah, like you're gonna get like Gira and, and all the fauna show up, you're gonna get like um yeah like maria and them show up you're gonna get uh like team sun and all them probably gonna meet them soon anyway but also like um glinda's gonna show up and port's gonna show up and you know all those things all those people we've left behind along the map are gonna show up at like the end they might then get killed in a big bunch but who knows but maybe it's just me becoming attached to side characters but 
I hope, like, if we do have a big Avengers Assemble moment, that Junior and the twins are there, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Like, that's when you put in all the cameos from all the people along the way. Right. And the best way I could rationalize why they're, you know, helping, despite them technically being antagonists, if, like, Team Ruby questions it, Junior's just like, hey, this is my remnant, too. Yeah, I live here. Yeah, just, I live here. I'll fight for you guys for now. When this is taken care of, back to the status quo. Yeah. Why are you trying to save the world? Because all my stuff is here and I live here. (laughs) Yeah, which I do love it when that is a motivation of a character. Because it's just, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like necessity. It's just like, well, I can't even continue being a bad guy if we're all dead, so. Yeah, and plus he's in the business of being an information broker. If everyone's dead, no more information. I gotta ask you a question, actually, in your opinion, with the whole Avengers Assemble and what they're gonna do and the Darkness Ruby. I I don't know how I feel about this, but do mm-hmm. you think they're gonna try and pull a fairy tale ending? Are they gonna do the big undo button at the end? Like the gods come back and bring people back to life and are all or, or change the world or something? Or are they gonna stick with like they barely make it? people who died died and we move on and we continue into whatever the next is that we don't get to see like story cut what i would like to see is that the gods don't come back all right but like yes like they lose a lot of people but a lot of people also live like i want to see some darkness but like it started in the beginning with that one ray of hope which personally I like it when stories come full circle yeah and... yeah I know what you mean I actually had a, I had a video idea that I was going to do that I don't know if I'll ever get to but it was about like re looking at possible endings if we made every character as full circle as possible but also into the ridiculousness of that like mm. where some people would have to end up to be back where they started it's um it was very it was very silly when I started trying to script it out. I don't know if we'll ever do it, but it was it was a very odd concept. And when you start looking at it, it's like, this works for you. Oh, this does not work for you. Right. And then with the starting the ending where you started, there's a good theory about Dr. Ublek. Hmm. And that theory was that he was there at Mountain Glen when it fell. Yeah, 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 that would make sense. Because, you know, I see lives that could have been saved. Right. And maybe it's just because I love Ublek in port. But, again, I would just love to see them fight Grimm together because they cut that fight, really, in Volume 3. I feel like you could do a good little side, like, side story with just them going on, like, a hunt, like, together and just have them bounce off each other. Yeah. Like, have you seen Lord of the Rings? Yes, of course. I feel like they'd have a Gimli Legolas thing. It's like, right. well, that still counts as one. <laughs> right. I um, I, I always get comments when I bring them up. I'll be like, oh, they'll, they'll show up at the end, or we could do this with them. And I always get the comments that those people don't work at Rooster Teeth anymore. They're not coming back. And I'm like, recasting is a thing. Yeah, because they did recast... Um port in the Grim Eclipse video game for the Nintendo Switch. Well, right. but I, Yeah, exactly. That's my point. Like, people treat these characters like they're real people that can't come back because the person's gone. Like, they're voice actors, and you can recast yeah. them. Or, 
you can just have them show up and wink and go huh and then well not even make a noise and they're just there like you can just draw them in their characters right people i don't know it's just i always get this like, treatment that like you know oh that's not gonna show up because that person doesn't work with teeth anymore you know and i'm like well that doesn't matter just get a different person to do a voice right it's just an odd argument that I see pop up a few times. I, just, I don't get it. Yeah. We have recasted people in the show. Like yeah. It happens. I'm sure it does take time to get used to. Like, for example, uh, I hate to bring him up, but Crow. Hmm. When I first heard his new voice, I was like, eh, maybe, maybe not. But then I-, I grew to love it. Like, yeah, that's a great voice. I just like the fan theory that everyone says it's just when he stops drinking, that's what he's saying. I love that theory too. The the timing work is fantastic. It it is. It is. Like that's a happy accident with the timing that that just happened that way. Um, But another, like you talked about how you've done wild theories. Yeah. Yeah. I made one wild theory article and never made another one (laughs) because of how wild it was. I always open them. I always open my videos by saying like, hi, I'm Riga. And I don't think this is going to happen. All right. This one's for entertainment. Like I actually just say it at the start. Like I'm just having fun. Okay. Just hear me out. Yeah. That's basically how I started my article with like the, hey, highly doubt this will happen, but hear me out. Wouldn't it be cool if, if blank happened in that blank. Yeah. No, so you're talking about the Juniper death theory. And my first ever video was Ren's going to die in volume eight. Ah, the first thing I ever made, and it didn't happen. Well, I said Volume Eight decides their fate. That was what it's called because I like the rhyme, and um, it was about like, like why it would make sense and where all the bits would add up and possibly how it would happen and what the fallout would be. And I concluded that Ren is gonna die. Like what I did was I, I wrote the whole, I wrote half the video, very heavily suggesting it was Nora, and then in the middle I flipped and went, no, actually it's Ren, and then kept going. But um, yeah, like like that was the first thing I ever did, and uh, um, it, it it the response to it was I'm convinced. Like everyone was like, yeah, this makes sense. I'm like, well, like it was just an off idea I had. I just needed a first video idea, and this one stood out to me, and I, I thought it all made sense. Yeah, with um, my out there theory, um, in hindsight, I just kind of tried to ignore that I wrote that article <laughs> because I said that. Clover would come back. Oh yeah, yeah. But my reasoning was that he would be our um, analogy to Frankenstein. My first crack theory was like the first one I labeled that, and then never labeled them that again because I think it got suppressed because people don't like that term, or at least I don't know the video just did really weirdly bad, so I just hmm. didn't use that title again. Um, was I said that Neo gave them a fake lamp when she handed it over to Cinder. And I went through why that makes sense, even though it's floating. And I did all this like breakdown. Yeah. So it was like, you know, Neo steals the lamp and then says, screw you, Cinder, knows that they don't know the password or how to use it and makes an illusion copy and handed it off and kept the real one. Makes sense. Now- It would have been cool at the time. Yeah, yeah. I I agree then, that would have been cool. Uh, What's your opinions about Emerald switching sides? Uh. I think that it, I am a fan of it in that I'd like to see more dynamic with them. And I think she's an interesting character we haven't delved into as much. I'm not sure about 
how it happened, but I understand being left with like nothing. So they took everyone away from her and then she sort of got captured and then it switched over. But I feel like the transition was a little too easy. They had like an argument amongst themselves and she's like, actually, I'm your friend and it's all smiles and we're all good. I feel like it would have been more interesting to almost have her still as captive until we get to Vacuo and then see like if we intercut between the island and Vacuo while they're in Vacuo you see the team starting to bond with Emerald and like loosen the shackles sort of thing and then you could also do that culminating with when she finally runs back into Mercury right and you know I was thinking the exact same thing too because in volume 8 I when I seen them being all buddy buddy with Emerald the first thing that came to my mind was did you guys forget that she participated in the fall of Beacon <laughs> yeah well, yeah, that's the best kind of thing you could do over time is like her talking about how I, I wasn't comfortable with it and I, I hated it and I'm sorry. Like, do a I'm sorry scene. Like, have like them go through it. Yeah, um, because in volume three... Was, oh, sorry. sorry, the other thing was that I thought that if they were going to do the quick friends, like, okay, it all works out. It's because we needed Emerald for something and then she didn't do anything. I was like waiting for an illusion switch. I'm waiting for the trick and it didn't come through. I'm like, why is she on side and working with us now? That's what's she doing? Where, where, where's the illusion coming in? And it didn't happen. And I was like, missed, like, if you're going to make him friends, involve her being in the final battle as being in the final battle, you know? Right. Or like helping assist. And one thing that I'm a bit bummed out we didn't get was Emerald using the last thing from the Relic of Knowledge. Mm. And I feel I'm... like it was very useless the way we did use it. Uh, that's my bigger problem. That's not necessarily who gets it. I just think he could have done a lot more with it. We right, and, for so long, and we used it to get information they probably could know anyway. Right, and the reason I'm disappointed with that is because Emerald is based off of Aladdin. Right, and like the genie in the lamp, it's right there. Yeah, I um, I'll my one of my favorite uh, one of my videos that I think the algorithm likes. Like you know, I, I don't have heaps of views on any of my stuff, but it's the one that like. Like it seems to pop up, like even on my recommendeds and stuff. Like when huh. I look at Ruby stuff, is um, it's called it Neo's final trick, and it was that Neo had used we. What happened is we go through the story, and whether whoever ends up with the lamp. This was before we figured we we used the last question. I think it was between, it was before eight started. I think, um, and I said that imagine if either the heroes or the villains have the lamp, and they desperately need the question, and they go to ask it and it doesn't work, and then we flash all the way back to when Neo stole it, and she's used it off-screen, and left them with a MacGuffin that has no charges left, and then right when they need it, but it's not there. And um, I had Neo just look at um, something about Roman, and then we can do the flashback to what she saw, and then that's how I would have done the Roman backstory before the book was there. You learn their backstory by seeing what she asked Jin and how they go into that. Yeah, that would have been interesting. Yeah, and like people like she can't use it she you know doesn't speak i'm like there are so many ways around that like you could work around that in so many ways i like to think that you know Jin is capable of understanding like you know like sign language or whatever she also could just like point a gun at some random guy's head and make him say Jin. like yeah do whatever you want yeah also you could like well, how does she communicate with Jin? well Jin knows everything so she definitely would know sign language also yeah. you can just write on a piece of paper and hold it up I'm sure she can read. Yeah. So I, I, I was waiting for a trick because I do like Neo being so tricky. And I was like, uh, she slipped one in there. Like, 
utilizing the the fact we we lost track of her in the lamp for a small amount of time and come back to it yeah it, it would be nice to see neo seem to have an ace up her sleeve more often yeah with the with the emerald thing i do think yeah the, that's what i mean with the you know they don't always follow their their myth or their their fairy tale to the t because that option was there and it wasn't taken so clearly she isn't just following that set path does that make sense yeah but also i'm like another reason i it's just like oh they could do this it's right there is you don't really see much of aladdin in emerald like you kind of have to squint a bit to see it like oh yeah well, it's still not, I'm pretty sure it's still not listed on her fan. Like, oh, on like the Ruby Wiki, I don't even think it's listed as her origin at the moment. Uh, let me... Like, it seems to have just been what the fans have decided, or did someone say it on a commentary or something? I can't remember where it actually. I mean, I do. It does make sense, but I don't. I haven't actually seen like any open references officially to it. Uh, let me look it up. Ruby Wiki Emerald. Because I remember looking at it at least a while ago, and it wasn't there, but it might have been added since. Uh. I'm double checking. Because I was gonna I was gonna write something about her and I was like, oh yeah, this Latin inspiration. And I went, I'll actually double check if that's official and I couldn't find it. Even though it does it does matter enough and make sense with the street rat and the thief and all that. Um yeah, character basis. Emerald alludes to Aladdin from the book of one thousand and one nights. As okay. well as the Disney movie. So, yeah, when, it does. Whenever I looked it up, that wasn't there. But, um, that, I mean, it's, that's fine. It's there now. Yeah, but again, like, it, the fact they didn't lean into it makes me think that, like, it's things brought in from all these stories, but they don't necessarily follow the same trajectory. Although, if Emerald ended up rich and powerful somewhere by the end, that would be funny. Yeah, yeah, it would. Who's a prince she can marry? The only one coming to mind is Whitley, and that doesn't work. That doesn't work. Right. He's too young and it wouldn't make and sense. Plus the Schnee Manor is just gone. Well, the Schnee Manor is gone, but the Schnee Empire exists because it exists worldwide. So technically the holdings would go to somebody once the world figures out how to talk to itself each other again. Like someone right. still owns the Schnee brand. Like it was yeah. housed in Atlas, but there's like Schnee things everywhere. Actually right. this up. They, they, they show Schnee dust mines in vacuo like that's being alluded to like in world remnants and stuff so technically like whitley or probably willow technically would yeah, have willow. some power there officially whether they listen to her or not is different but right and also i think vacuo kind of resents the schnee dust company because they took their dust oh, yeah, and... they're probably not going to be welcoming but they, it is there yeah it's there but good luck getting your hands on it yeah yeah exactly uh yeah no the, the politics of how remnant works is very strange and it is with the with the communications down there's a lot there'd be a lot so many questions like i feel like like okay so ruby is ripe for fan fiction it like, is I, I i write some of it like i know millions like not millions but thousands of people do as well like there's fiction mm -hmm. everywhere like you know it's filled with like ruby ex like partially exists off its fan input and stuff I feel like you could do whole side stories about like just how the politics are falling apart in X place while everyone else is doing their own thing because like communication globally is down and that's enough to like spiral a country really. 
Yeah, and especially with how we kind of figured out how councils work. That's yeah. usually a council of five people. One of them at least is a headmaster. Yeah, it's five or, or, or six or however they want to do it. And like, you know, like with the headmaster thing, like, okay, so what's happening in Haven? Like, yeah, because Lionheart's dead. Supposedly and... died defending Haven, which we we as the viewers know he didn't. And the last thing he said was that the council was at Atlas's throat and they were getting huntsmen together to protect the people from the massive Grim invasion that happened after Volume 3. So with Lionheart dead, that would mean you'd have to appoint whoever was second in charge to run the school. They wouldn't know all the inside Ruby, Ospin stuff. And then they would be subject to the whim of the council and all the huntsmen would be put towards the invading force, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. And like, like the only reason I say five, at least five members on the council, is one an odd number, so there's not there's no tied votes. Yeah, that's the issue with the Ironwood thing because he had two. Yeah, he seats. had two seats. Yeah, 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 you're right. And also, we see Ozpin talk to the council, and I think volume two, mm. where they're like judging some of his decisions, like, "Hey, are you sure well, they... you want to do this?" Yeah, they did the um the Avengers thing of the shadowy people that like yeah. don't have faces talking through the camera, who which sets up that they should be characters, but they never ended up being anything. Like right. well, we're gonna reveal who these are, you know. But the way I think I've broken down how I think the council breaks down is one of them's a headmaster of of the academy, which totally makes sense. Yeah. The other one is like someone who knows the economy. Like yeah. Jacques Schnee, like love him or hate him, it is canonical that he was great with numbers. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think because, well, but the only thing with that is if they're each assigned certain roles, that would make the election very strange because Robin isn't great with numbers. Robin's looking out for the people. So they wouldn't yeah. fill the same role and they were vying for the same seat. So the seats aren't dictated by roles, right. but you would have similar people. You have people with a skill set you want elected into those seats. Right. Yeah. So you usually have one, yeah, like like a headmaster and probably whoever's head of your uh like defense and military. Yeah. Which he is both. And then yeah, someone to like do like public relations and dis and like talk to and look out for like the little person, someone for business, and then like, and business for... and economics. And also I think healthcare. Healthcare, utilities, that kind of thing. Yeah. Something like yeah. that. I would love to see a Ruby story that focuses on an average Joe and how <laughs> that world looks like to him. Well, it's always like, um, it's like everyone has aura and everyone has semblances. And I understand that like in the real world, er, like they, we, have ex we have amazing athletes, like Olympians, mm -hmm. and we all can't just be them. We have to train really hard. You have to do a lot of work. Like I couldn't walk up and be a soldier and I couldn't walk up and be an Olympic swimmer. I don't have the training and skills. Right. But also in this world, if it's public knowledge that huntsmen and, and academies exist, I can't imagine that the general public sits around happy their whole life, never unlocking the aura and finding out what their semblance is. Like, what's right. my magic power? I'm not going to find out. And some people, like um, Roman, just don't unlock their aura. I have a problem. Well, it was always said he didn't have a semblance or he never found it. Yeah, never unlocked and his semblance. Yeah, I, I find that Ruby has a problem. I was going to make a video on this, and I don't think I will, so I'll, I'll talk about it here. 
Ruby sometimes has a problem with bad example characters when they're like, this character is an example of this thing, but they don't always explain it. So like, we know that Roman doesn't have a semblance or didn't unlock his aura. And we know that like uh, Ironwood has his metal semblance or whatever, uh, but then it's never communicated. Like no, it's, it's not, not in the show. Like everyone just goes, what was, what was Roman's power? And he just didn't use it, I guess. Cause in, if you've just watched the show, you would never know that was the explanation. Right. And if you just watch the show, you would never know that metal existed. Right. So they have these example characters and then they don't provide the example because they don't actually explain it. They just are oh, that thing, if that makes sense. Right. Th- though I will give Rooster Teeth this. They do also have some great example characters like Crow for, hey, you can't turn on and off your semblance. Sometimes it's just on. Yeah, but that works because he sat down and explained it to them. Yeah. We had the sit-down scene, um, which, I, which which is what you need. So that's, that's what I mean. Like, that's yeah. a good one, but sometimes they're bad ones. Yeah. I, I didn't but say metal like, was good. Jeez. <laughs> no, but also, um, like, like, Maria is a good example character, because even though she doesn't have her eyes, we gave her a flashback to show what she was. Yeah. So, okay, we get it. Like, but you have to put in the, the actual scene that explains it. You can't just have them in there and then say that they did the thing or not say anything and just assume everyone figures it out. Right, but I feel like they're also hampered by time. Like you can't you can't treat Ruby like a um, like a, a serialized show that gets twenty four minutes and a couple million dollars every episode for yeah. a season, but from like a, a TV station. And I think it's been confirmed. Like some writers have wanted to do more, and just things had to get cut thanks to budget. Oh yeah, like having to cut things is just how the world works like yeah like i um like i have a film degree right and when oh, i was making cool. yeah well if someone wants to get me a job with it it'd be fantastic but um <laughs> uh i mean i have it and like sometimes you just got to cut things like we had we had this uh student film we were making and i was not in one of the lead roles it was one of the things where, like everyone takes a role in the crew and you make a student film and then we see how you did right and you get actors who were like doing acting school so they get some, you know, practice and that kind of thing. And the guy who wrote it was so attached to his script. And the guy who directed, who was directing it wanted to try all these shots he hadn't practiced. So he's taking forever over and over again. And we lost a whole day of shooting. And they were arguing in front of the actors. There was like people storming out and like no one's being paid to be here. So it's really not cool. And I had to pull, I, I, we, the writer said, I have to excuse myself and leave because I won't let you cut anything like i'm too attached to this so i can't be involved like i'm gonna leave and let you guys cut because i know that i if i'm here i'm just gonna screw up the process and i had to sit down with two of my friends and we got the script like after the shoot was done and with a red pen we just went through and started crossing things out that we didn't need and condensing things and we chopped the script in like half and it wasn't as good as it could be but it meant the next day when we came back we actually got it shot and done and that's the only way you right. can finish. Sometimes those cuts just have to happen. And that's a student project, not a production that thousands of people are going to look at. Like, sometimes that cut just happens. Like, oh, this definitely is there to make sense. Yeah, well, it's not done. And the thing's due tomorrow. Cut. That just happens. Yeah. <laughs> like, this was in high school. I took a video class. Mm-hmm. And, like, our final project was a fake movie trailer. Okay. And I remember it so well because I did a parody of something I love. 
Mm-hmm. It was like a parody of Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney. <laughs> Love, good pick. Yeah, and it, it was great. It, there were some things I wanted to do, but I was like, eh, but we don't got the time. Shoot. Oh, well. Let's just take what we can. I'll put things together, put good background music, good transitions. Let's see what happens. And I got an A on it. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, thanks. But um, I feel like, but like, I, I see people even on Twitter, like, I've seen like Ruby people talk about this. Like, people, especially in animation, you don't realize yeah. every every line costs money. You got to do lip flaps and animation and you know recording sessions around every single line, every single word. The more mm-hmm. words you add, the more work it is, and the more money it is. You have to be as concise as possible, and trying to do that. And also have the restrictions of not being like a massive show and not having all the time in the world. And also trying to get your story done and also not be too obvious and also make it entertaining. That's very, very difficult. It is. It is not an easy task. And anyone who says it is has not tried. Right. I've never worked in that environment. I've only learned about it and like done film school and I like writing. And I can tell you, it's damn hard. It's really difficult. And even then, only a certain amount of audience are going to like it. People are going to find a plot hole or something. It always happens. There's no perfect script. And, and even then, like, even of your audience, and some are going to like it and some are going to not like it because that's just personal taste. So all that on top of all the hard work you have to do just to get it out. Yeah. It's incredibly difficult. It's almost like we have to show more respect to the actors, the voice actors, the animators, Any, the writers, the editors. <laughs> Anyone who attacks a voice actor or an animator or whatever, just just leave. Don't, you're not wanted. Yeah, yeah, I feel the exact same way. And if, like, you, if you want to say to like, like the writers, I didn't like this creative choice. Well, first off, I mean, okay, that's your choice. You're allowed to. But you can also say it nicely. And also, like rather than say it to them, write a critical piece and put it online for those who would like to read it. Don't write at them on Twitter and invade their lives and be like, I don't like you. I'm trying to stop myself swearing. Um, yeah. Who does that? Like, I know we have Twitter, which means you have these direct lines to people. Yeah. But it's not there for you to send all of your thoughts at them. Yeah. It's not yours to abuse. Yeah. And like, th- that's the thing. It's that direct line is not a magic link. It's the same as starting a conversation. Would you walk up to these people and say these things? Right. Like, what What nerve do you have? Are you actually one of the people who would walk up to a writer of a show you don't like on the street and stop them and say, I hate you and you're doing bad and I could have done better than this and you don't know what you're talking about? Would you do that in the middle of the street to someone you don't know? Um, no, of well, course you wouldn't. At first, I didn't know if that was a rhetorical question and I was preparing <laughs> myself to answer. And I, was, I, 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 I would hope you don't need to answer. No, I, I don't need to know that. I was raised with manners. Like, like, put it this way, I like I have a YouTube sh- channel, right? Like, yes, you do. Yes, and it's not that big, and I, I, but uh, you know, I enjoy what I'm doing, and I like my yeah. audience. When they at me on Twitter, I'll do my best to respond. I don't always see everyone. Sometimes I just can't talk to people or something for a day or whatever. Yeah, and I love it. But also that channel, like that Twitter, is for my channel, so I'm inviting you to do it. I say in my videos, come talk to me on Twitter. If I was writing for a, a show, like an actual show, I would then have a personal Twitter and I would say, this is my personal Twitter. Don't at me. <laughs> like, 
if you have a problem with my show, tweet my show Twitter, where I ask you to tweet me stuff. And if I want to go look at the criticism for me, I'll go there. But right. that's not a personal life. Where I just want to talk to people and not be quote unquote at work. So don't at me there. Right. And like I, you know, you can tweet the official Ruby Twitter if you like, but don't tweet Miles or whatever. Like, leave him alone. Right. Like let him, you know, have a good day. <laughs> yeah. Like I'll tell you what, last like, year we've we've needed every good day we've gotten. Right. Like you would know this because like because of your work at All Ages of Geek and everything. Like you can be really proud of a project. But when it's done, it's done. But the people on the other side of the of the screen, they treat it like this is your life and you do this all the time, twenty four seven. So you'll just finish the project and it's done. And then the next day, you get a whole breakdown of what you did wrong or, or whatever, and um, it's like I, I, I'm I'm off I'm off duty. Like I know you don't know my hours, but I'm off duty right now. Uh, I will say I am fortunate enough to not have that happen yet. Like I said, also me too. Like my 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 I will say this if any of them are listening i'm not going at any of my commenters because all, all my comment sections are really nice and uh I, I try and keep my keep them that way and i my regulars who i recognize all the time uh appreciate you so much because they're the good ones they're the great yeah. people i feel uh, like i um I, I i accidentally cultivated one of the better best rootube yeah you know, right sorry ruby and youtube came out as one word there um, one of i the mean, best there, I mean there is ruby the phrase Sorry. Oh yeah, RubyTuber. Yeah. Yeah, RubyTuber. Like that—that's an actual thing that's going on. You know, you have like that Kylo Dan, Murder of Birds, Caitlyn, Twinnings, the Judgmental Critter, you. Yeah, yeah. I um, I always uh, try and dodge that term. Only that, I never intended my channel to be purely Ruby. What happened was I started with Ruby and it worked, and then I kept making it because I kept having ideas for it. One day I will branch out. I'm <laughs> not sticking to this forever. But <laughs> on that right day. Now, on that day you will celebrate <laughs> yeah it's um well it is hard to think about ruby every week of the year and make videos right. all the time so there are sometimes i'm like i need to make a video this week because if i don't the algorithm will punish me for the next four weeks that i didn't but also i've thought about ruby for 50 weeks straight and i would like a little break sometimes yeah like again that's why not all of my articles are ruby like i do love ruby it's one of my main fandoms don't get me wrong love as much as the next guy but there's just sometimes where i'm just like you know i want to talk about dungeons and dragons <laughs> yeah i do have a bit of that intimidation actually like i've planned some non-ruby videos and i've put a few out but they were um sorry excuse me they were um not as successful and they were pretty under the radar and they weren't like super high effort like breakdown things like i do with ruby but i have planned some some non-ruby content and i'm like when I post this, how many people just mean like I'm here for Ruby and leave? And also the algorithm's not going to like it because at this point, all my content is just directed at people who like Ruby stuff. So um, I, I am aware of that, but I'm still going to do it one day. Right. And maybe I don't know if it would help, but it's what I would do personally. Uh, maybe have a channel trailer. Be like, hey guys, I'm not all Ruby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's Again, I'm not moving away from it. I'll be doing Ruby for a long time, but uh, like yeah. I, there is like a, a general anime sort of idea I want to do, and I might start that soon. I've been putting it off and also not had the time because life's been life. But yeah, and starting something new is you know the like making the first episode of something is always the most difficult because it's like I got to yeah. work out all the problems now, and I'll get better at it as I go. 
Yeah, like, I definitely had to do that when I first started doing interviews for The Geekening. Because mm. I was a very big introvert who didn't like the sound of his own voice. Yeah, that's a, that's a hurdle I, I luckily dodged because I'd been to film school. So because uh, of all the practice we'd had, I'd heard my voice recorded so many times that despite hating it, I'd, I'd got over the barrier. Like when I sat down to do my first video and I recorded my voice, I'm like, yep, yeah, still hate it, but I can listen to it back and edit it because I've done it already for a while. Yeah, well, and another big thing for me was just the fear of interviewing people. Because... Interviewing is a really tough skill. And yeah. good interviewers are amazing people and you're doing very well. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, no, that, that's for real. Because interviewing is really hard until you try it. Like you don't know how hard it is. Yeah, like my first interview. Um, I don't know if they showed this in Australia, so maybe there's going to be a bit of a regional difference. But uh, Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius. Uh they did show it. Yeah. What okay. I um, I act the very first episode of the Geekening I hosted was an interview with Hugh Neutron's voice actor. <laughs> cool yeah and i was just like oh that's my first oh okay don't yeah, be didn't, didn't start out with something smaller or anything. no i was just like okay big fish did not expect this okay let's do this oh no i gotta do this ah. so actually i have the opposite option well the opposite problem where i think i'm pretty good at talking to people like i don't know that's a self-judgment but like i get on well in conversation and i'm i think i'm pretty good at it but I don't really have someone to bounce off. So all my stuff is scripted. So right. it's hard to sometimes feel organic and it's hard to, like I sometimes have to write my scripts like an essay where I have to explain all the bits where I'm like, this is where the other person would be talking. But, and like, no, I have to explain all their bit for them too. Like I almost feel like I would do better if I just had like just, just, a, just a camera or something and just talk, but it doesn't really work that way for what I do. But right. like, I, like in this environment, talking to you, this is way easier. You should see me recording a script I flub every third line and have to redo it over and over. It takes hours. Yeah, I too. Uh, for the Library of Remnant, I have things broken down, so I too need a script, and I have flubbed like the first episode multiple times, which is all about Ruby because she's. Yeah. Um. You know, I'm doing in the order of how we see the teams. I had this really comedic idea for a video that's totally different than anything I've done. That's still Ruby. Oh. that I didn't get to do because I wanted to get it out there before volume nine comes. And I don't think even if I started it now, I'd get it done because there'd be so much editing involved in it. Mm. But um, it was going to be a really fast talking script. And I, I tried to practice, like I wrote like the first paragraph. And so I tried to see like, how fast can I get this while you still understand me and I don't flub anything. And my God, I, I think that project is never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard. Yeah. Because it was along the lines of like, have you seen like zero punctuation and all those sort of things? Like it's it's that kind of script where it's just mm. fast talking, full of jokes, like doesn't stop. Like keep go, 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 go. I can't and, say uh, I have watched any of the videos, honestly. Well, yeah, Dungeons and Dragons person. Do you know J-Cat? J-Cat, yeah! So, so you know his like how-to videos? Like his how to be a barbarian and all that? Uh, Yeah, his uh, crap guy to D&D. Yeah, that. So it's yeah, because he took he took that off zero punctuation, which he's. Oh wow! Show. Yeah, so it's that style of video where it's just fast talking, rambling, like really fast, but with jokes. It was going to be a, a video like that. Huh. Not with the animation because I can't animate. But it was going to be different. Cool. But uh, I don't think it'll happen. But yeah, trying to do that is so hard. 
Yeah, I don't think I could do that. Like, that's yeah. why I'm doing this, a very casual interview, because, hey, I can bounce off of you, and you can bounce off of me, and that's how we get something called great chemistry. <laughs> yes. Uh, the answer to all problems is great chemistry. Ask yeah. Walter White. No, jeez. <laughs> that got a bit dark, but hey, I'm here for it. That's <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, but uh, who would you say is your favorite Ruby character, just in general? Oh, okay. Uh, huh. That's a hard one. Um, I'm tempted to just say Salem. I just really <laughs> like her, and also the fact she she gets used sparingly means that like I yeah. guess you don't spend as much time with her, so that it's easy to have characters you really like when they only have to pop into a story. Um, from True. the main squad. Everyone says Weiss, and I think it might be Blake. That, that's fair. Only because I'm a... I don't mean to be, but I'm a natural contrarian. Like, everyone get, says A, and I say B. And it's not that I'm trying to be contrarian, my brain just goes that way. So whenever it's like, this is the character people go pay attention to, I'm like, I really like him. I don't mm. know. Like, that was one of, my, one of my biggest problems with Seven uh, was that Blake and Yang started melding into one character. Oh, uh, like yeah. Like, like, I, like, I'm, I'm happy with them getting together. I'm like, oh, yeah, hundred percent. I'm like, all the story is fine, but they're always together, side by side, and they're just basically agreeing on things or talking about why they should agree on things. And I'm like, you're just the same character. Like, you're not, you're not two individuals. You're just like, you're a package deal now. Right. And it's sort of, you lose something with that. And with m the problem I have with talking about my favorite character is I have to bring up my least favorite character. <laughs> Oh, my other answer is um, Neo, actually. Like, Neo is, like, my probably all-time favorite just because she was so unique, like, and yeah. so special and did something that, like, Neo is the character that basically I was, like, the, the fan base wanted Pyrrha back and the fan base thought this would be cool, but they demanded Neo back. Like, yeah. she's just that special of a character. So, I, I, I know, I'm, okay, Neo is my desktop background right now, so I have to say favorite character Neo. Okay, <laughs> fair, fair. I, I was doing myself a disservice because I was trying to be clever with my answer, but no, it's Neo. Uh, but personally, for me, again, to bring up my like, oh, why this person's my favorite character? I have to bring up why this person's my least favorite character. Mm -hmm. So let's just get the bad out of the way. Least favorite, Robin Hill. Okay. I don't like Robin. Fair enough. However. Favorite character, May. Oh, okay. May Marigold is a treat. We enjoy her. Yeah, yeah. Um, she, yeah, she's cool. I, I, uh, with the Robin thing, I see a lot of hate on Robin. I'm so passive on Robin. Like, I sort of just don't care either way. Yeah. Like, like, like they're doing the whole like maybe she'll get with Crow thing, and like. I am fine with that. Like I said in my videos, I'm like, you know what? Like people hate her or whatever. I don't get the hate. Like I'm, if she ends with Crow, great because I don't care about her, but that makes Crow happy, and I'd like to see Crow happy. So that's a win. <laughs> he deserves some happiness. Dang it. Yeah, like I, I don't know. I just I didn't get too invested in any of the Happy Huntresses really. Like May did get some standout, but like I'm like, again, we've introduced a, another block of four characters, and they're not doing much. Yeah. They did do a bit in eight, but. Well, because of the way Ruby works with like teams and stuff, whenever you introduce a team, there's four of them. It's like, 
when you have one character you want to use in a story and you have to introduce four every time, you start ending up with this really bloated cast, which is a problem Ruby can't get away from. And people fall in love with these side characters, but man, we got a lot of them and we're not killing any of them. Right. But uh, the reason I didn't like Robin, it's not with the, oh, she might end up with Crow. Me, me, me. No, I don't care about shipping that much. Yeah, if you if you know my channel, I uh, my favorite phrase is screw your ships. Not because I <laughs> don't like you for shipping, but because it weighs down the conversation when we're trying to talk about plot and ah. things. Like, you know, like I want to talk about the plot of this. So maybe Crow's going to end up with Robin. They might be setting up here. And also this and this and this with the episode. They shouldn't end up together. Don't care. I'm talking about the show. Like, you know. Right, but I just didn't like her with how smug she came across. Yeah, she was very um, self-confident and, and dismissive. Yeah. Just... They tried to do the cute, gives everyone a nickname thing, and that sort of didn't work. Like, um, do you watch overly sarcastic productions, OSP? Uh, no, I don't, actually. Uh, I highly recommend them if you like uh, mythology. I, 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 I definitely know the, the, the name. Um. But yeah, but just seeing Robin and how smug and self-confident she was, the first thing that always came to my mind is, oh, so that's your hubris. <laughs> right. I also feel like she was underutilized with such a great semblance that could have been, you know, put to better use. And my opinion on the semblance is, meh, like, okay. Well, it's I mean, it's not that it's great, it's opinion. that I... I like a I like a good non-combat semblance. So when they come up with one, I'm like, okay, let's see how you use it. You didn't. Like, mm. yeah. like the only way the only time it was used was to convince her to help, which didn't really help that much. Right. So so you introduced a cool power that like whether you like it or not, it has cool potential to be used in the story, and it wasn't. So right. that's that's more of a waste. Like I get more I, I get really annoyed with wasted potential. Where it's like, it's uh, right yeah. there. Like, oh no. That like, grinds like with the, my gears with the, with the resemblance thing, like I put in a lot of work to give the Rudolph character a, a very crazy, powerful, but different and interesting semblance that wasn't combat related at all. And I'm like, look how cool this would be to have, but you can't kill a Grim with it. Like, it's just a cool thing that you really wish you had, but, you know, you don't. And he's not as powerful as, you know, all these crazy combat semblances. He can't teleport or do anything crazy, but he has a cool thing that's his. And giving characters right. cool, unique things is great. But also, if I was going to write a story, you best believe I'd have him then using it a lot because he can, because he has that ability. And if you right. grow up with a power, like once you unlock a, if you unlock the superpower, like you yourself, you unlock the superpower right now, mm-hmm. would you not use it or would you be using it all the time like it was your second limb? I'd be practicing with it until I was an expert with it. Right. It's a, it's a superpower. Now, if you're like Nora and you got to get like absorb electricity, kind of difficult if you're like ruby you'd be like like blasting all over the place like yeah i just want to go to the fridge Zoom. like of course you would it would become part of your normal life yeah all fun and games until you run into the fridge but <laughs> well right although that does conjure up images of her like reassembling inside the fridge and the <laughs> uh, okay i'm sorry but that's just kind of funny to me <laughs> just ruby fridge Talk about fridging your characters. Right, yeah, I was going to say women in fridges, right? That's, that's probably shouldn't. Hey, I made that, that joke. joke. I mean, technically I made it first. Editors, if that was too much, please cut it out. No, uh, I don't think it's too much to say. I just think that, like, um, they probably shouldn't do that joke. Like, we shouldn't right. put that joke on screen represented because I'm like, that's there's bad connotations with that. It is, like, very bad. Thank you, comic books. 
Uh, well, thank you also, Gail Simone, for pointing it out. Right. Because, yes. Um, also, like, um, I won't lie, I have gotten into the depths of the fandom where I was like, okay, let me create my own character, you know, make an OC. Mm. And one of my first OCs I created actually didn't have a combat semblance, really. Hmm. And though he could use it in combat. Yeah. And it was that his eyes were basically like a natural microscope. Oh, cool. So, like, he was very good with electronics and clocks because he could see the tiny details, know how to work it. But yeah, as he, he got... Yeah, like, as he got older, he was able to, like, focus in on an opponent and see their movements. Right, like, gotcha. And I really liked how I did that. I was like, you know what, that's actually pretty creative. Well, I always like to talk of semblance evolution. I always think that oh, there's fun cool. possibilities. Especially when it's like, how do I make it related to the thing? But it's like a like a new branching path of, oh, you didn't realize you could use it this way. It's a new part of the skill tree. <laughs> Yeah, I was. I have one for Crow that I thought would be like this would be so cool. What is it? Okay, so you know how his is like he brings bad luck, right? Yeah. Imagine if it's in a field around him. So I always thought, imagine if it had evolved where he didn't just bring bad luck, but he. It's a version of seeing all the possibilities, but not really. Basically, it was giving him like Fallout vats. Like he looked around him and saw the possibility of each thing that was going to happen around him. Because you're seeing like how likely this is to happen, like bad luck would say this is the thing that's going to happen or if he gets really lucky this is going to happen and then try and map out his movements in the field around him to most likely succeed that's actually really cool yeah because it's like it's taking the idea of possibility and luck and then instead of he just brings it he also then can see it around him in in how it affects the world around him yeah and like another character i came up with i never did anything with them which I'm a bit disappointed with because I really like their semblance. And it was that it was basically the opposite of rent. So they right. could amplify emotions. Yeah, that's a that's where you get your torchbearer characters, you stir up the mob. Yeah, but it wasn't really good because they grew up in vacuo, which it's basically dog eat dog in vacuo. Right. And basically, anytime they attempted to use the semblance, it would attract Grimm because it was negative emotion that was gotcha. getting amplified. Yeah, you could do something cool with that, where like they work with a team to like make himself the target, attract all the Grimm, and then they can take them all out at once, and those sort of tactics. Like that could be cool. Yeah, because you're a living distraction, man. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it is also hard to say like, oh, I never did anything with this character, but it's hard to do things with characters, like unless you're a fanfic writer or you're playing right. like Ruby D and D, like. Otherwise, what do you do with your characters? You just draw draw out of them, I guess. Um, no, they just live in a little shelf in my brain, and they just stay there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's why I sort of made what I do. Like, well, I like coming up with cool ideas, and I'm like, who am I sharing this with? Well, if I make a video out of it, like, maybe some other people will like it, and I can just get it off my brain. Like, here's a cool idea. It's in the record books. There you go. Now, I didn't watch the video. But I am curious to ask you. Okay. What was the resemblance of Ebenezer Scrooge? Okay, so 
I had to work for that one because what I did was I set out to design a Huntsman team of heroes. I went, these guys are going to be heroes. I made them all 18. They're all like second year of school heroes. And then the first two I gave myself was the Grinch and Scrooge. I'm like, I'm going to make you good guys. I'm going to figure this out. Um, so what I did was for the whole character concept, what I did was I scrooge is all business right like that's his thing all business make money like everything i do is about work and working everyone else as hard as possible so what i did was i made his origin story that his family were huntsmen his like father was dead and his mother was like a tough as nails the hardest huntsman you've ever met like he didn't get he didn't have like a loving home he grew up in like a dojo with like three other brothers and they learned to fight their whole life And, and what i did was i said what if scrooge's business was being a huntsman so rather than being greedy for money you say scrooge's character is all business therefore if we make his business being a huntsman he's all being a huntsman so he's super serious he trains all the time he's basically like a a vegeta or a bakugo he like is he's exceptional at what he does but he emotionally has like no connections and he's almost like a he's like a, a straight down the line like the hardest, uh, like, like the, the hardest going huntsman in training. And then for his actual semblance, um, oh, it was, um, what did I make it? <laughs> you <can't be> <laughs> I just, I just wrapped up this series and I put it to the back of my head. I'm um, sorry. No, no, it's all right. It's just that thing of like, uh, and finish. Uh, what did you just write? Oh, it's, uh, uh, what did I write? <laughs> Good question. Uh, <laughs> Because I did that with uh, his weapon. Like, I gave him, I was like, what's imagery for Scrooge? And I'm like, he doesn't really have weapons or objects he is like consistently like using. He has like a candle and like a cane. Yeah. Like, that's not much. So I um, instead, I gave him a big whip because I'm like, yeah, he's like, he works, like, that's how he works his, his uh, employees. Yeah, that's how he worked. Uh... And then I, and then I was like, and then, um, what do you call it? His, uh, his, uh, like, the, a whip isn't good enough for him because he's like a tough character. Right. And, um, no, I made it a chain whip because oh, Jacob, Jacob Marley, the first guy. Oh, yeah, the chain. He's covered in chains. Yeah, and because the weight of his it, sins. Yeah, because it's the links of all the terrible things he's done. Yeah, yeah, and they're connected to money boxes. So I said, okay. Then I went, okay, a whip's not enough. What about a cat and nine tails? So there's, so I made him like a big handle. That has like multiple lengths of chain on it, the like big heavy biker chain. And I'm like, he doesn't whip you and it stings. He like whips Grim so hard the whole weight of it goes through them. Oh, that's and cool. I, and then I was like, okay, so with his semblance, I do remember now. Sorry, I had to jog my own brain for a second. Um, I, I decided to do the three ghost thing and I, I made a semblance called Phantoms, where you know Flint's semblance where he splits into four? Uh, the killer quartet, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he does that except the, the the phantoms can't hit him what happens is he sort of glows white because his aura is white and then three ghosts split out from him but they all look the same so suddenly there's four people in front of you that look exactly the same and he sort of slides into one of the slots so mm. when he attacks you you can't tell which one's which and you have to try and block the right one like how do you do that how do you block four people attacking you at the same because it's like it's like flints where they move in sync with him like they can't it's not like blake's where she can leave them around these all move in sync with him like alongside him it's like, I'm running at you, I'm running at you, I'm going to hit you, suddenly there's four of me, which one do you block? Right. Like, how, how do you possibly win that? 
and like you can like cut them and they disappear because they're physical like i made like a i do like an I, when i construct things like this the way i try and keep a balance is i make a trade-off like if it takes this negative it gets this positive or it gets this positive it needs a negative right so i'm like so they're physical so they actually exist they have like one, i describe them as having one hit point they're like one hit point ghosts that look just like him so you can hit them and they disappear and it costs you more aura to make more uh, so you can like it's sort of like with D D, it's sort of like blur like uh cut yeah. down like a one in four chance cut kill one okay one in three chance another one <laughs> and um and then i said but because they're physical they register as actually existing and because they're made of aura they reflect his emotions so it actually works on grim so when he uses it and the grim attack him they see four of the exact same person in front of them and they have to try and pick who they're attacking which makes it child's play to like take them out right yeah, so I thought that was a cool way to do it. Yeah, that is cool. Because that's, I always say that when making characters, like, they all need a secondary element. Making them just Goldilocks or just whatever is not enough. Like, then you're just making the same character. They need, like, a secondary thing. Like, what is the thing? So for um, for Scrooge, I'm like, here's all the Scrooge influence, but also we re-angled the backstory, and now he has, like, a martial arts thing. Like he is like he his character is a martial artist. He has like martial arts looking robes. He has like a martial arts background. Makes him great as a fighter, but it fits the motivations because now it's just all business. But it's that. So it's like I made Rudolph, and I'm like, well, I could just like make a deer, and I did make a deer for this, but I'm like, also oh, no, Rudolph travels the world. So I made them an outdoorsman, and like he's like a hiker and a rock climber and all these things. So that's like another theme I put in through the story. Oh. I always think you need two things. You need the, the, the initial influence and you need like a secondary element to like mesh together. So they're not just a one-to-one translation. Right. And the character that I always refer to when I'm like, hey, this is one of the best characters I ever created is actually for All Ages of Geeks D&D podcast. Uh, cool. Dice Sash. And it's my character. Of course, your character. And... He is a Minotaur cleric. Oh, you already got me. Minotaur is like my favorite mythical beast. Now, here's the thing. He's a himbo. He's <laughs> not that bright. He's very, I believe in you. You can do this. But he also passed medical school. <laughs> oh, okay. He's a doctor, but he's an idiot. And it stuns everyone. So he's got like, he's got natural talent. He's just really good at this thing, but he doesn't really know why. He's just um, he has learned why, and it is hinted at that it was the influence of the god of affliction and medicine. That would make sense. That was helping him, which he is the champion of currently. I'm getting flashbacks to all those sort of characters that have like memory loss problems, but they're amazing and they don't know why out of thing. Like I don't know why it's just working. Uh, for him, it's more of a, I know I'm dumb. Why am I good at this? <laughs> yeah. Like, he has no memory loss. And again, very like, oh, I... No, I, I just mean that trope of like the character oh, yeah. who like, I'm just swinging the sword, but suddenly I'm a master. It's just working. I don't get it. Right. But for him, it's swinging a scalpel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But... Which, the not knowing why he's good at it. it has led to some things about like he for a while he had like terrible self-esteem issues awesome because yeah, he I, nope. I never got see the thing is when I've when I've played D&D in that I never liked 
power gaming and i and i never it's the same thing with uh uh with any anime or any kind of thing and it's one of the reasons i like ruby is i don't like i don't get power fantasies that much like i'm right. like this character's the best i'm like well then i can't relate to them and i don't care and i'm not interested like i like broken characters like broken characters who you have to rebuild or who have to learn things and fail a bunch and hurt those around them and get hurt and learn like that's why i'm invested that's why i like you like if you're just great what's the point of this like yeah. if it's if it's one punch man and that's the joke that's fine but if yeah. it can't be taken seriously i'm like i don't care right Even, uh, i'm a massive dbz fan but goku was always training to get better like yeah he wins but he didn't just win that the struggle is the point even even though he's one of the most powerful characters ever like doesn't matter he wasn't the overpowered character all the time the whole point was he has to keep getting better and meet the new challenge and meet the new challenge and, meet, and that's the that's the story yeah well with uh dice sesh it's set in the magic the gathering world of pharos currently the campaign is and it's like a greek epic right cool. well their story is more or less they as a person i realized a greek epic is not the best to live in because the world seems to want you dead have you watched like jason and the argonauts it's not great no, I have not watched Jason and the Argonauts, honestly. Or, or Clash of the Titans, or anything like that. Any uh, of those no. stories, even. It's just like, this isn't great. This doesn't work out well for you. It doesn't work out sometimes. Like, there have been the times God, where... The, the gods are mostly dicks, and they're more powerful than you. Yeah, we've had had clashes with some gods that we um, haven't really seen eye to eye with. Um, Tauros himself has angered, I believe, three or four by himself. It's a good thing to make an enemy of a god, an all-powerful being. Definitely yeah. want them against me. And one of the ones he angered once was the one that chose him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I say he's dumb, you know how D&D stats, they usually max out at 20? Yeah. He has an intelligence of 5. Yeah, okay. Yeah. He, he dumb. He dumb. <laughs> so, because like, medicine's based on wisdom, right? Yes, medicine's based on wisdom. That's the joke. <laughs> Gotcha. Yeah, I, just, I, I haven't played DNA in a while. I was flashback. That's correct. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I played a cleric and I hated that fact. I'm like, why do I have to have my wisdom so damn high? I'm the smartest guy in the room and I can't do the medicine role. Yeah. Well, um, one thing that because oh, I was in inte- oh, sorry, I was in I was an in intelligence. Um, uh, I was an in based uh, cleric. I should make that clear. Ah. Because otherwise, I sounded like an idiot there. Like I had all these stats in int, but I couldn't use them for medicine. I'm like, this is uh... right. Yeah. Like, and you do get, like, funny things. Like, one of, like, the party's leader who has become Tauros's ride or die. Like, they've right. become brother and sister in every way but blood. Gotcha. The, from, like, the Poli of Akros, which is, like, magic Sparta. Oh, cool. Yeah, they're definitely well, the one on your side. Wow, Tauros is from Melitus, which is, like, magic Athens. They really shouldn't like each other. <laughs> if just going off Athens and, and, and the... Yeah, and that's one thing that they've actually talked about, is we shouldn't be friends, but we are. They saw past the differences. Yeah, that, that's always where good stories lie, is when you get the you know opposites attract. And it's like, even in, like, going back to Ruby, like, there's a reason that, like, you have characters that are the opposites of each other. Like, just to start out, like, starting the team. Yang is the one who runs in and is gung-ho, 
and her partner is the like slinky assassin like shadows doesn't engage type right Right. like they're the exact opposites that's why they come together you have ruby who is the hopeful bright spark and then you have weiss who is the cold push you away type like they're opposites that's why they come together you put them together to get the sparks and then they work it out (laughs) right and as i was saying like there's some funny things that you don't expect because as a joke because again int of five Mm-hmm. Tor, like his friend Ava, which is the one from Acros, was just talking about Acros and stuff like that, talking about the politics. And I asked the DM, can I roll to see if Tauros understands this? Right. And he was just like, okay, sure, whatever. I roll natural 20. So there's Tauros explaining a crow in politics to an Acroan as good as them everyone's stunned because he's an idiot why does he know this i always say that um for like people that want to get into writing and stuff like i'm not an authority i'm not a great writer but you know writing is my my passion what i like i always found that like the way i learned the best was playing dnd yeah when you're like stop thinking about what a character always should do and what's the smartest option think about what they would do because they're them right like i I the smartest option for me on this battlefield is to go left and flank this guy and kill him. But I'm also a crazy barbarian man, so I would not think of that, and I will make the wrong option on purpose. That's how you write characters. Is like you can't you can't be the most efficient, work everything out, or the story doesn't happen. Because yeah, you probably can solve everything if you try really hard and you're the smartest person in the room. But right. when you're writing yeah. characters, it's like that's what character flaws are for. They make yeah. mistakes because they are people. And one of the most emotional. In the beginning, one of the most emotional scenes actually did have to do with a. This is what my character would do. Yeah. Because um, Toros... I've seen people die over that man. Like, I'm sorry. Like, we're we're friends, but my character would fight you on this, and it comes to blows, and someone gets um, killed. It didn't come to blows. It was. Uh, it wasn't personal, really, but uh, Toros got kidnapped because the people who kidnapped him needed a doctor yesterday. And so Tauros comes to, he, they explain to him, like, hey, we need a doctor for this. And Tauros, being a doctor, was just straight up, okay, lead me to your sick. So they lead him to a room. And in that room, he saw so many people, he couldn't even count them all. Gotcha. And they're like, okay, what can you do? And as a player, I had to sit back and genuinely think. There, like, I did some, a couple good roles, and the DM was just like, yeah, you've never seen this many injured and sick people. So what I did, Tauros used all of his spell slots for healing, and even went into giving himself exhaustion, he worked himself into the night. Just yeah. trying to save as many people as he could. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that's what I mean. Sometimes you gotta, like, me- some, I've seen people have to sit there and be like, do I make the choice that gets me killed? And it's like, yeah, I do. Like, that's how you write characters. It's like, it's like you don't want to stop playing this character. You don't want the story to end, and this choice will get you killed. But your character would make this choice. Yeah. And that's a, that's a hard one to do. And it's the same thing when you're right, you know, with a story. It's like, yeah, exactly. Could Nora die? Well, I don't want Nora to die. 
but she would do this so i guess she's dead like sometimes you get to that point where it's like it's it would be untrue to the character yeah. for them to not do this so they're gonna do it yeah it's just like that um Thanos meme of just like I'm sorry little one <laughs> yeah it's also uh, like the, the what did it cost you everything yeah sometimes that is how things go and yeah. in the yeah, recent to, recent recording in the recent recording like we almost lost Tauros to a big decision a big power play he did and it was emotional because he put his life on the line for someone else. Yeah, I um, I once had my cleric go, I was like, I had to figure out a different ending because I secretly had this backstory for the character and he had like some sanity problems uh-huh. and he had it tied to this book that was really important to him that he had hidden in his robes. I'm like, this book is like so important to him, he'll die for it. But I just like, kept that to myself and I'd be like, all right, if this ever comes up, I'll, I'll use it. Like, it's just a fun thing to have in my back pocket. And then, like, session two, the thief is like, I'm going to see what you guys have in your pockets. I roll and steal from him. And she's like, hey, what's this book? And I'm like, my character now goes insane. Um, okay, how do I figure this out? And, uh, yeah. yeah, I had them run off into the wilderness and, like, return two days later. Oh, <laughs> like, geez. he just freaks out and runs naked into the woods because he, uh, he goes gaga. Because I'm like, I can't, I don't want to fight them and kill everyone. And I don't want to ruin the game. And also, I want to keep playing these characters. We only just made them. And also, I hadn't let them in on this secret, so it's kind of unfair to pull it on them. I just right. thought it would be cool. But I didn't expect to immediately go in and, like, the party starts rolling against you immediately. I'm like, ah, oh, damn it. Yeah. Fortunately, the Theros crew hasn't had to deal with that yet. <laughs> but, um... I... I'll tell you what. I'll circle back for you for a second. Like, an hour ago, you started asking me about researching for uh, Ruby stuff, and yeah. we went very far off track about that. Yes, we did. We go back to back to that question. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, no, 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 that's right. I thought I, it sounded like a question you wanted to ask, and I was like, we didn't actually. Yeah, like, it. how much research would you say goes in on average? Okay, so it depends what kind of video I'm doing and how I approach it. A lot of the time, like, I still haven't read the Ruby novels, and I'm like, oh, you're a Ruby creator, you definitely should, and I'm like. I have a different philosophy on it where I like the show and I also think it's good to approach the show as someone who doesn't read all the extra materials because that means I'm on par with everyone else who's casually watching the show. What do they know? What don't they know? What doesn't make sense? So when I'm like critiquing an episode, like when the episodes are coming out and I put out my thoughts videos on what I thought of it, I like that I'm in the same mindset of people who aren't uber fans who went in and read all the background stuff meaning that my knowledge of the show just having watched through a thousand times is adequate enough if i'm doing like the resemblance stuff and i'm like like i know the story of scrooge i didn't have to go watch a christmas carol but i also wouldn't pick for myself a topic that i don't know anything about that's going to take me 10 years to read up on so like i sort of have to help myself out that way it's like if someone's like make a resemblance of i don't know abraham washington I grew up in Australia, man. I don't know anything. I have to go like read like like ten like books worth of history. I'm like, ah, I'm, like, I'm gonna miss a reference, and I'm I don't I don't know. Wait, did I like you know? Wait, did I say Abraham Washington? I meant Abraham yes. Lincoln. You did. I think sorry. That, <laughs> I I do think there was someone in history called Abraham Washington, or at least a wrestler, I believe. So you're still wow, kind of good. Okay, what I, I meant 
Abraham Lincoln, and then somehow George Washington got in my brain. Sorry, it is for everyone at home. It is two a.m. where I am. Yeah, sorry. Uh. Um. Uh. Yeah. So, like, but if I, if I did that, I'd have to like go off and uh, and do all that research. I'm like, I wouldn't give myself that project because a, I'm not interested, and b, it's not going to be worth it for what the end product is. Right. So, like, like... If, it's, if, it's, if it's adapt Rudolph, cool. If it's adapt a wrestler, cool. If it's adapt a video game, I like cool. I wouldn't put it on myself to do more than that. If it's theorizing about Ruby, it's like, um, like what what angle am I taking here, and what information do I need to know? Like, is the key to what that island is really going to be in the Roman holiday book? Probably not. So I'm probably fine to speculate. But right. um, but you always miss something. Like I get comments like, "Hey, you didn't know this," or they actually said this on a commentary somewhere, and I'm like, you know what? At the end of the day, I put in my best work, and uh, if I miss something, I miss something. Can't know everything. I don't claim to be an authority, and sometimes you just miss, and that just happens. Yeah, like an example on my part where I'd be like, I don't know where to start. Like, if someone's like, okay, connect a Grimm to Waltzing Matilda. <laughs> uh, okay, how? <laughs> yeah. I have to go it's... through the lyrics so many times. Yeah, that would be an interesting one. Yeah, and exactly. I... It's like, sometimes it's like, usually the crazy wacky ideas are the ones that just come to you and you're not even trying to think about it right like oh my god did you realize this and your brain will just spit it out at you but trying to invent a crazy theory with like can i connect this thing and this thing just because i want to it's like no not really it's going to sound forced it's not going to work people are going to see through it and it's kind of dumb but when your brain spits out an idea like did you realize these connections were here it's like actually my subconscious has just worked this out in the background and there is something there i should probably look into it and even then not all of those work out either Right. Though, for every uh, Ruby guest I have had on, I do like to say this little fact, mm -hmm. because it usually gets a chuckle out of them. Do you remember Henry Marigold? Yeah. In development, his code name was Shitty Neptune. Uh -huh, I did know this one. Yes. I, I wasn't sure this. if you knew. Yeah, I need that one. Yeah, It's, no, still, good. it's still funny. It's good. It is. I did always, like, not that it was a missed opportunity, but it was something I thought about with the whole May thing yeah. and getting into the whole trans thing. I've seen a lot of people say that, like, they wish it was the same character. Like, that that's what happened in the break. And I'm like, that's that's an interesting concept that, yeah. like, that like, he transitioned while we were away. And it's not that that couldn't work, but also I thought, if we're not doing that, and that's fine, when you have um, May do her big scene... You don't, um, but we don't actually see like her face the marigolds again, like in the fall of Atlas or anything. I'm like, you have the setup there, and you like, we know they're both in the same place, and they don't like, we don't see the interaction at all. Yeah. And I can understand if, if she doesn't like them, that's fine. But like, you're all escaping or fleeing or whatever you're doing. And like, there's just that we didn't even see Henry, you know, like, he, didn't, he didn't walk by a background. And I'm like, why, why not? Yeah, makes sense. Especially... It's one of those things with all the range of characters. It's like, what happened to Flint and Neon? We saw them on the battlefield. Are they dead? Like, I don't know. But we don't follow up. And even seeing them was nice, I guess. But, you know. Yeah. That's one of the things with growing all these side characters. It's like, sometimes it feels like there's so many missed opportunities. Because, like, we know that, like, Henry's in, in Atlas. We know that Flint and Neon are in Atlas. And when we know they're there and we don't see them, it's like, what's the point of having the, of creating them and not giving them a, an ending 
and just disappearing them. But then you're bringing in their family members, like, you know? Yeah. But one thing I seen on Twitter was someone kind of new to the fandom. Mm-hmm. And it was just glorious because of how funny it was, to me at least. It was a picture of Neon Cat, all right? Mm-hmm. And they... They post on Twitter, why does she remind me of a cat? Right under it, they responded, wait a minute! <laughs> yeah, it is funny. Um, I, I've, I've watched... One of the ways I got through watching Ruby so many times is, like, I can't watch it back to straight now. Like, if I watch it back, I find a new reactor to watch with. Just so yeah. there's, like, new stuff to watch with. And um, I've been through... Like, if, if you're a big reactor on YouTube who's done Ruby, I've watched you. Like, I've watched them all. <laughs> Oh, um, that means you've watched All Ages of Geek. I have indeed watched All Aww, Ages of Geek. Oh, so you've heard of us. I have. Oh, actually, I wanted to, yeah, um, I wanted to thank All Ages of Geek. When I was very new, I can't remember how many videos it in it was, All Ages of Geek commented on one of them, just saying, like, hey, cool theory, keep it up, man. And I was like, you know what? Like, that made my, my, my day. Like, that made my week. I'm like, someone, that was the first, like, account that was in the Ruby community that was big that ever noticed me do anything. Yeah, so I want to thank all ages geek, whoever that was on the team. It was probably Cat, because you know the main, the founder of all ages of geek. Yeah, I, like I said, I don't know who has access to the channel or whatever. Yeah, but I remember like the opening to I'm my just... next video was just me with the comment on the screen going, "Ah, look at this! Oh my god!" Yeah, because this may sound a bit funny, but um, I remember that. I remember that you come that we commented on your thing and i was like oh it's great that we're helping uh you know helping the little guy because we've been there yeah and... i think it's interesting because like it really makes a difference like those little things people forget sometimes how important they are to people yeah and like that's also a great thing i like to do with the geekening is like i'm not saying you're a small time creator you I know am a very small time creator it's funny. like I like to shout people out to do good work because I seen all of those resemblances and I was like, okay, something went into that. I can just tell. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's one of those things where it's, it's funny. I was just looking at my channel stats like before we talked, and it's like those don't have very many views. Like they're all like very middling, but they have like more comments than most of my stuff. And I'm like, people just like talking about this. It's cool. Yeah. And heck, that's also how I found All Ages of Geek was through Ruby. I think that's how I found you guys too. It makes sense. But I really found them when Kat was reacting to Volume 2. And I remember my first thought that came across my mind was, she doesn't know about Volume (laughs) 3! And Volume 3 reactions always make me happy. There's so many channels that have started at Volume Four because they've clearly watched Three and gone, "I need to react to this show." Yeah. And you know, and that sucks because you don't get to see the Volume Three reaction. Yeah, volume Three reactions never get old for me. Like I, I enjoy myself a good Penny joke. I enjoy a good Pira joke because oh, I was there. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh... You know, it's funny. I uh, I fell off after Volume Three for a long time. My history with Ruby is very strange. Um, when Volume Three happened, I was like, "Wow, that was an emotional ride," and I was crazy. And then I didn't really feel like coming back to the show. I'm like, "A, how do you top that?" And B, I was I think I was at school. I can't remember what I was doing. I was busy at the time, and I didn't watch Ruby for like 
a couple years and then i got back on it at like volume six maybe and like like um, yeah something like that and then went back and rewatched everything i'd missed because it just vanished like and then like life moved on and it just sort of vanished from my consciousness right. and uh who would have thought i'd ended up here you know yeah and who and it's kind of funny that all ages of geek was one of the first ones that one of the first big ones to comment on your thing because like here we are full circle <laughs> you know yeah it's uh, yeah that, that's when you message me i'm like oh wait uh, oh yeah all ages of geek oh, okay wow i wasn't expecting that like because you guys commented and like i wasn't expecting like hey you know let us feature your stuff whatever like i knew it wasn't that it was just someone commenting like, that's really cool thank you so much for being cool but like i never expected anyone to contact me i was like oh it's like it's been a long time but oh wait they do, like why like the first the first person to contact me to do something outside my channel that wasn't also like RubyTuber stuff was you guys again I'm like oh, okay that's that's crazy yeah and basically my thought process is hey I'll hit them up if something doesn't go through that's fine I have gotten kind rejection emails from an interview like hey we're a bit too busy at the time good luck in what you're doing cheering for you you know yeah, I, um, can... I definitely have regrets because i have like uh i won't i won't say it here because i'm not involving them but i ha i did get a very lovely invitation to do something from another youtube person uh and i was really tired when i got it and i didn't respond and then it was like a week and now it's been like it was in july and oh, i never got geez. back to them and now i feel like they probably hate me and think i ghosted them oh I, I didn't mean to but i it was a very uh serious request and i was trying to it was about a serious topic and i was trying to figure out what my response would be because like i could have even said no it's like i don't know how i feel about this and what i would say and what my input would be. And I just ended up never getting back to them. And I still feel bad about it to this day. Ow. Yeah. So if that person, is, for some reason, hears this and knows who you are, I'm sorry. Okay? I'm really sorry. Please. No no disrespect, man. Uh, person right. who will know who you are if you're listening for some reason. Right. Uh, but, again, there have been some people. It is I've hard been... to do a, a polite rejection. Yeah, yeah <laughs> so it is. Like, and like, how do I be like, I'm not being an asshole. Please don't read this sarcastically because I don't mean it like that. Like when I did get the rejection email from the people who were like, hey, we're just a bit too busy right now. Good luck and everything. I literally screenshotted it and saved it to my phone because I respected them so much. Yeah, yeah. Like well, they like, responded. Um, <laughs> when, I, when, when you first contacted me, like um, you saw we talking about what time it was. When I sent you like, oh, that doesn't work because that's way too late for me. Which is, uh, and and then you uh, you said, oh, how about this time? I wrote back, oh yeah, that sounds perfect, thank you. And I'm like, I if you you could easily read that like, like, oh yeah, that's just as good, thank you. But I actually meant it, and I was like, please don't read it the wrong way. Yeah. Oh no, it's I I so hard to get it. tone. No, exactly. But it's like it's, it's one of those things. It's why emojis exist, and as much as people don't like them, they exist yeah. to create tone because it's very hard to convey tone in text. Like, yeah, that, I'm that's... smiling when I say this, or I'm mad about this. Like, this is the tone you should read this sentence with. Right. And I've used emojis as well when talking to people for, like, 
hey, do you want to do this interview? Because there's this one Ruby tuber we have tried on three different occasions to get an interview, but it's been too hectic every single time, and I find it near comedic now. Yeah, schedules are crazy. I remember yeah. I was I was part of the the big um uh the Oscars. Oh uh, yeah, thing. the Oscars. Yeah, that you should have seen what that uh that like Twitter private channel looked like with everyone in there being like who gets what category? Who's available when? When are you going to get your footage in? Like, who's doing Like, it was like, 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 Cal and Arnold organizing that. I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to. All right. Uh, no, uh, no, there was no problem. Everyone was really nice. Everyone in there was a fantastic person. Please don't, I'm not picking on anyone. Right. But it was right. just like, there was so many names flying by. You'd wake up to like 200 messages and it's like, oh, jeez. Oh, uh, and I, I'm not saying that there should be some, uh, press coverage from all ages of geek at the ne- next oscars but i'm not saying there shouldn't be I- i'm just uh, saying <laughs> i was invited i have no influence I-, I know i'm just joking like if arnold and caitlin are listening like hi you <laughs> no disrespect oh they're, they're the best people yeah I- i'd like to interview them someday yeah, well, I mean, aside from you, they they were the first people who really welcomed me and them and them and Dan. Like, they were the ones who would be like, "Hey, there's a new Ruby tube you should check out. He's really cool." Like, yeah. Wow. Like, thanks for like welcoming into the community. You know, it was yeah, my that... it was my foot through the door to not just being like a lone guy making these videos. Like, oh no, you're part of this community. I'm like, oh wow. That's, yeah, that's that that's how the Ruby community is, and that's the one Ruby, thing. The online Ruby tube community is really cool. Even a lot of the people who are like big critics of the show and, and, and like hate on the show and that's how they get their viewership because they're, they're the negative the people behind them are usually pretty great like it's just their opinion on the show that's that's whatever right. like, you're allowed to have be critical but like almost everyone i've spoken to is genuinely great people yeah and like that's what makes me keep coming back to interviewing ruby people because I don't do it like, oh, I just know about Ruby and I feel safe talking about this topic. Ha-ha. No, I do it because I'm like, okay, I can have a sit-down conversation with them. We'll bounce off. There's probably going to be great chemistry. I think it's like, the reason a lot of that is, is because, okay, there are a few people who just hate watching. That's whatever. Like, people like what they like. But Ruby's not a big enough property for there to be, like, serious leeches. Like, if you're right. like, I'm going to play the bad guy and make a channel that hates on a thing to get views ruby's low down your pecking order of like audience pool to pick from like go with the marvel movies you'll get millions of views you'll be fine oh yeah like you know if you, if you have to be at least interested or dedicated to still be going at volume eight and making content about it so if you still have that kind of passion you're probably a good person or at least an interesting person right you know like ruby's just not big enough to leech off so like if you were just going for views or whatever and you're being really disingenuous about it, you'd pick a better target. Right. Which is why I think, yeah, a lot of them are just really good people when you talk to them. Even if they're, like, burned out on Ruby or they, they don't like it anymore, that doesn't mean they're a bad person. Like, when you talk to them, they're great people. Yeah. Like, even in this interview, I've said my gripes about the show, but I've also been saying what I've liked about the show. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole thing about, like, the negative people and the positive people. And I usually get lumped in with the positive people. I don't see myself that way. I just see it as I say what I think. 
and I like the show, but I, I constantly feel like I didn't like this or like that was bad or I would have liked more from this character. And sometimes I get a little pushback. They're like, you know, like, oh, you know, you're just whining or whatever. I'm like, I'm just giving you my flat opinion. I, I don't set out to be a character who hates the show or loves the show. Right. I set out to be like, this is me and this is what I think of the show. And yeah. I like the show, which is why I'm covering it, but I don't like everything about it. Why? If you like everything about something, you're, your mind watch like you like you you know you're indoctrinated at that point but you can be critical of anything like yeah you know, everything can be better and then and a lot of the answers are they didn't have time they had to cut it that's not their fault but you can also then analyze how it came out and be like okay so you know whatever like one of the scenes i got um what i did was do you know in what you mate when the hound attacks and kidnaps oscar i yeah that's a great scene it is, but it was a bit sort of awkward and they were sort of standing around looking and it didn't sort of come across yeah. well. I did a video that's like how I would redo that scene and it wasn't, they did it wrong. I was like, but like without changing anything that happens in the scene really, like camera here, you could cut this quick or whatever. And the, it's funny, it got posted to like Reddit and stuff and you know, Reddit's pretty critical of any YouTube. Oh, jeez, yeah. But but all the comments on it were like, oh, you know, don't want, like, you know, don't need to watch it. The, the scene doesn't need fixing, you know, all these kind of things. And then there was like two people who were like, actually watch it because he's not being a dick. He's actually like just going into like, oh, you could have moved this camera a bit and do this kind of thing without attacking the show at all. And all the comments under it were like, I came here expecting, you know, another Ruby hater, but actually this was kind of cool. And I'm like, well, thank you for that. Aww. I'm not saying I'm right, but I think people have a precondition now that whenever there's a criticism, it's a flame war. And it's like, no, right. have constructive criticism is a thing. Yeah, it, it may be a lost art to some people, but still a thing. <laughs> and um, also, I'm not the authority. I'm like, here's what oh, I yeah. would do. Like, I'm not, I, I'm not filmmaking like Second Coming of Christ. Like, I'm just, I'm just a guy. Like, I, I've studied in the field a little bit. I don't have big productions to my name, but here's what I would do. What do you think? That's the point of your comment section. What do you think? Am I right yeah. or wrong? Discuss. Yeah, and it is I, not. I'm I'm happy to receive well-written criticism. Like I've had comments like, "Oh, I don't think this would well. I want to change this." And I'm like, "Perfectly fine. I'll go in there and like it." Like, yeah, it's fine for you to disagree with me. Like, that's what we're here to do: learn, learn from each other. Let's let's you know. No, that's how I approach it. One of my favorite Ruby moments, just in general, has come from Volume Eight, mm -hmm. and that's when the Hound spoke. Right. Like, that threw me for a loop, and I'm glad it did. It's so funny, because I've watched that scene back with a couple reactors now, because when I went back through volume made a few times, like, I needed reactors to help me through it, because of yeah. re-watching. And um, so many people miss it. It's so funny, when you're doing reactions, I guess, you know, you're trying to be animated and make sounds. And so people are like, oh my god, he's good, and they just talk over it and think it's a growl, because it's so low. And, like, there's, like, at least, like, let's say four reactors I've seen who have been like, wait, go back, we have to, like, did they say something there? What do you mean it spoke? And they're like, rewind, like at the end, they're like, rewind and watch that bit. And so, so many people missed it the first time. Except for like Ruby Twitter, which blew up, obviously, like I was watching at the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's where like I observed the, uh, how much pop culture influence has on Ruby. Because like the Hound is Venom. That's what it is. And I'm like, oh, let's look at when they tweeted that they were writing this volume. And it was like the end of, I can't remember what year, the end of a year. They're like, oh, we just finished writing the script. And I'm like, what was the biggest movie that year? Oh, it was Venom at the start of the year. Yeah, I think I know what the inspiration for this one is, guys. And, <laughs> and also, like, 
and it just comes out like that's just how you see a lot of these little and, and that happens to everyone who writes anything like the things you like or the things you've seen sit in your brain and you'll start making things similar to them even without trying yeah and like i have um run a ruby D one shot which was honestly kind of fun because i gotta create a character and the semblance and a unique weapon I'm not much of a math. I'm not a game head person, but that doesn't make sense. I've known people who could like build campaigns. I don't just mean like campaigns, but like systems. I can't do that. But um, I did always think there was an opportunity for a different, simpler approach to a Ruby game system than the one that they use right now. Uh, all I did like, was uh, really copy and pasted um, the one that they do for Rooster Teeth. Uh, I, no, I copy and pasted the one they do for D&D, but I switched a few things. Like, instead of Arcana, it was Fairy Tales. Gotcha. Because and... for, for, for me, I always thought you could do a system with, like, you'd have to work at how many points it is, but you do it, like, point by, and you have to spread them out over, like, aura and combat and everything else, and it keeps the characters from, like, going crazy out of line. Right. And, then, like, when you take hits, it drains your aura, but also when you use your semblance, it drains your aura. And then you have like this gauge you have to watch that like gets depleted like on the board. So like, right. on your character sheet, it just get, instead of just like health and like spells being different, you can like combine them because like they would work in tandem sort of thing. And there's I thought there was right. something there. There's something there that's cool, but my brain isn't the type that can figure it out and do the numbers. Right, but as I was saying with the character and taking inspiration from what you know. Yeah, um, yeah. For the big bad, I took inspiration from the Greek myth of Orion. Oh, okay. And his weapon was actually, um, I believe it was a trident that could turn into a harpoon gun. Ooh, I like it. And I got inspiration from that because Orion is the son of Poseidon. Right. Yeah, no, that's cool. Coming up yeah. with weapons is difficult, man. It I, is. When, when I do the resemblance, I give them all a weapon, and I'm like, I wish I hadn't included this section. I wish I just explained the weapon, because not only is weapons hard, but trying to draw a weapon is so difficult, where it's like, oh, this has to be like precise, and like the lines have to match up, because it's like a sword, and otherwise it looks wonky. Um, oh, I will say, yeah, um, one thing that's helped me with like character concepts is a website called Heroes Forge. I, I have heard of Heroes Forge, yeah. Yeah, and it, they have a large variety of weapons, and that's definitely helped me get inspiration. Yeah, I think I saw Joe Cat's video on Hero Forge. Yeah, but um, highly suggested. Yeah, yeah, uh, I I did think it was cool that if like, yeah, you wanted to create a character, you could almost use their three D modeling thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but also I'm I'm trying to get better at drawing. I'm not an artist. I'm never going to be one. But I've always like come up with characters. Like, I like stories and characters, so I've always tried to visualize them. So just trying yeah. to get slowly better at like some in some way designing them on screen so that they at least like convey the idea I'm going for, even if it doesn't look right. Yeah, like I've same way, I've never really been an artist. So how I conveyed my characters, I became a writer. I painted with words. Yeah, like, As I, I, like, like, I think there. I can do that ish, but I always think that like if I'm doing a YouTube video, it's really hard to ha keep your audience engaged just listening to you talk about what something could look like rather than seeing anything that right exactly. Yeah, but I can't yeah, think of I, um, anything uh, else to talk about. Can you? 
Uh, not really. I was going to say with your, your Hazel thing, you said you really liked that. Yeah, I liked um, Hazel. He was cool. Yeah, that was like one of the other crazy theories I just put out like, when was this, a month ago. Ooh. That uh, I, I had a theory that I I guess had been talked about uh, forever ago, but hadn't come up in a long time, which was that Hazel is Oscar's father. And I thought that was really cool. That would have been cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, I, so what I did was I did something different where I was like, this is what I think could be and this is how it works. And then I like did like a, a bit of a what if, like, here's how, imagine if that was a thing, how that scene would have gone, like with all the interrogation and everything, if you found out. Like that would have been really cool. Like, if 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 Hazel didn't know, and then they both found out after all they'd been through and all their standoff, because they've had like this, like reclashing. Like in Volume Five, they clash and then they clash again later. Like it would have been so cool. I I did think that Ruby is a show that I wish, when it finishes, it it somehow like like blows up again in the world. Like I don't know, the finale draws in like an extra couple million viewers, which is ridiculous to think. Because I do think that, like, I've seen it posted online before. I've never watched any of the videos, but like, the idea of should Ruby like get remade? Like, if you if you took the ideas and the full complete path, and then you gave it to like an anime studio with like longer episodes and more time to work with, and then remade it with what it could be from the start and the lessons learned along the way, what what would that turn out? And I do think it could be awesome, but I don't know if it would ever get the the clout to do that right but and like include like, all the things they had to cut for time and and all those kind of things and, and flesh it all out a bit more right in my uh humble opinion the way i want to see ruby end is just give it a good ending that feels right I've always like said for... that I, I want it to end. Um, I don't want it to end like a fairy tale in that I don't want it to have a definitive end. Like I want it to have an ending where all our characters end and then either do a flash forward to where are they now, like the end of uh, Full Metal Alchemist. That'd or, be cool. Um, just leave them with like a new sort of journey ahead. Like it doesn't have to be the world ending threat, but like have them walk off. Because the thing with fairy tales, it's always like they live happily ever after close. Like, no, no, do the thing where the world isn't over because the story's over. Like, you rest easy knowing your characters go on to the next adventure. You just don't get to see it. It's like a much smoother close. Like, makes you feel rounded for these characters. Yeah, like, see them walking into the sunset knowing they have to help rebuild what was lost. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a totally rounded out story where everything's finished. Like, have you you seen Full of Metal Alchemist, right? Yeah, Full of Metal Alchemist is one of my favorite animes. Right. So you know at the end how he goes off to, you know, the other countries to learn yeah. more and yeah, and, and there's the idea that they're gonna have a family and they do the uh the pictures at the end where you see some of that. That's what yeah. you need. It's like their their story isn't over. Just the story we need to see is over. But they continue, they go on. Yeah. And when it comes to good endings, the first show that comes to my mind is actually Gravity Falls. I am currently watching Gravity Falls, believe Gravity Falls my favorite show of all time. End of story. The ending I, made me cry. So I do this thing that no one out anymore does, but because I, because I, uh, I'm at my computer a lot and I could easily just binge watch things. I don't. Like I'm one of those people, like there'll be a whole series there and I'll be like, I'm going to watch one a week. 
and it's, it's going back to an old way of thinking where we don't just binge things and yeah. i tell you what man it's really nice because yeah. it feels like you return to something you you have something to look forward to like if you if you have five shows you want to watch rather than watching the whole show say monday i watch this one tuesday i watch this one wednesday i watch this one and then next week when you get back to them you'll feel so much better it's like this this thing that's been lost where like we don't you know t- i don't like tv tv sucks at the moment but that thing of you know it's time to watch your your show you love and then it extends it where you get to live in these worlds longer rather than just the, the netflix here's 12 episodes at once you could just watch them in a day yeah which is i kind of like what they did with arcane where it's like here's like three and three which i think that's uh, i'm currently watching arcane I am also kind of watching. I am one. I have to watch the the finale. Is what I'm going to watch like in the next few days. I have to watch episode two. <laughs> it, it's really good. I, I um that show does, did something incredible, which was make me at all interested in League of Legends. <laughs> I think it'll probably. I think it'll probably do to me what Overwatch does with their character trailers. I'm interested in the lore, not the game. Well, I also think that it's similar to, well, I don't say it's similar to Ruby, but it's that thing of like, even if you have problems with the show, you can't deny that the world they've created is so interesting that there could be so many stories in it. That's where all the fan fiction comes from, because there's all this stuff, like what semblances could be and how this world works. Same thing with that. Like, I know that they're making up a lot for the show, but it's like, we have these core characters and a few ideas. Let's build on it and see what we get out of it. And you can build into the world and build on these character relations and flesh out how everything happens. And then real good stories come out of it because you have these solid foundations. Yeah. And I think that really works for him. And that's and that, that's what that's how I think is the mark of a good show. Like Ruby relies a lot on its audience to keep going. Like the yeah. fan-generated content is massive on Ruby. Mm-hmm. Um, much more than the show-generated content just because of the size of it. And um, the, the fact that it's still rolling out, there's still fanfics every... Like, the fanfics posted all the time. There's art posted constantly, even like, you know, in the middle of the drought between seasons, there's still art popping up on my Twitter for people being like, I love this character. So that's how you know you have a solid foundation that other people are happy to build in. Yeah. And uh, any other questions before we wrap up? Uh, no, not, not really. But well, one we went thing... from Ruby to wrestling to. Ruby D campaigns to to myths to uh, re- relating to creators to writing to film school stories we've covered a wide gambit yeah we have which that's also why I love doing this yeah like I said uh, I didn't really know what uh, to talk about but uh, it's easy to talk yeah exactly that's and what I always hope to be talking with other interested people you always end up somewhere interesting yep. So yeah, hopefully one... people find me interesting, not boring. I don't know. I think they'll find you interesting. But um, one thing I like to do at the end of every single geekening, it's become a tradition at this point. Okay. Got any uh, words of wisdom for the listeners? Hmm. I'm tempted to steal Brian Zane's line, but I won't. Uh... uh... I know exactly what you... I know the line because I love watching wrestling with regret, too. <laughs> you know what I want to say. Yeah, I know what you want to say. And I've wanted to say it throughout this whole recording session. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's, a, it's a good phrase. It is. Uh, I think... Well, if I do have anything to say, I think that, like, whether you like Ruby or not, um, 
create things, make things. The world is uh, a better place for having more things in it, more ideas. Like, you know, if you if you if you feel fulfilled doing your job and and having a family life and all those things, which we all should do, that's great. But if you have an idea, put it out there because if it lives inside your head and dies inside your head, you lose the potential that other people could learn from it, grow from it, enjoy it, and make their lives better. So right. if you have something you want to make, make it because it the world will not be a worse place for you having made it. Right. I like that. I really like that. Yeah. Well, this has been Will from All Ages of Geek. And I've been Hugo from You Are Right. Bye. Yep. Goodbye. Have a good day, evening, night, or even afternoon.